0: Recorded live, hey guys. It's uh Chris here, and this will be the I believe seventh episode of super theism and uh, I have my friend Ross here joining me. You can say hi there, Ross, hi Ross <laughs> so uh, I kind of like to start by talking about something that's kind of happened to me in the background. I told you a little bit about it, Ross um. I was attacked by, oh, I believe I was attacked by a demon. Hmm. And so this happened, I believe, yeah, three days ago now, so the 20th. And so I was in deep sleep. I was sleeping on my side, but I was, like, conscious and looking straight up at my ceiling. So that's like one of the reasons why I think I was outside my body, you know. And uh I literally felt something move up the gap um between my headboard behind me and the wall. And that's another reason why I think you know, this is this was one of those dreams where like you I could actually feel it move up like it, I couldn't tell if it was real or know, a dream at that point, because I could feel it, you know.
1: But you sense a, p- a presence? or yeah I, could a- yeah,
0: I could actually feel it move up my headboard, you know what I mean? Like it was, I, 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 I don't know how else to describe it, I could feel it, you know what I mean? Mm. And I literally saw like its hair emerge in my field of vision first, so I was looking straight up at the ceiling. So it's like, it was arching over to look at me. So the image that I saw was inverted, you know, so it was like looking down at me upside down. It was arching. It came up, yeah, I came up through the head, the gap, you know, between the headboard and the wall right behind me and then arched over and looked down at me. And it was just like this crazy, you know, like man's face. And he he had this huge grin, like just from ear to ear smiling. And, like, it was just, it was creepy as hell, you know, his face. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And, like, so at that point, like, immediately when I saw him, I, like, you know, I wanted to wake up. But here's another, so here's another reason why I think I was outside my body. My body wouldn't react immediately, you know, it was like it was delayed. Like, I had to get inside my body first in order for it to respond, you know. It was that delayed. It was almost like a little... Kind of like sleep paralysis, but it wasn't. You know, it was just delayed because I was outside my body. And so when I was, like, trying to get back in my body, he he quickly, like, he reacted to me reacting to him, and he moved quickly back, you know, into the gap and back down. And he also made this noise. He, like, made this growling noise. Like, it was, like, inhuman, too. I mean, it was just terrifying. And, like, finally when I woke up, like, my body, dude, was just, like, my heart was just pounding. And it was, like, it took me, like, a while to, just to get calmed down again, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, so I think it was definitely, I mean, that's, I think it was real, you know? I mean, it felt real. Um, and, yeah, so I didn't even, I didn't even attempt to go back to sleep after that. I was, like, probably it. Around 3 or 4 in the morning.
1: You were done for the night? Yeah.
0: (laughs) And then, uh, and then the next night, the 21st, I got woken up again at 3 in the morning. Just, like, inexplicably. And then the night after that, last night, I got woken up again at 3 in the morning. Two nights consecutively after the the demon attack, got woken up at at three a.m. Isn't that bizarre?
2: Yeah.
0: And I've yeah, been thinking. Yeah, uh,
1: that's the end of the witching hour, right? Yeah. One to three, they say.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because you know Christ was supposedly crucified at three p.m., so it's the inverse of that. Hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. Which which I believe, you know, I think he was crucified on Wednesday, you know, evening or afternoon but anyway um, so I've kind of been thinking you know why this has been happening why that happened you know I think it happened for a multitude of reasons which I won't get into but one of them literally just came to me like yesterday just like out of the blue like I, I haven't been researching this there's no reason I would have like thought of this it just came to me this thought I, I, I think my angel is who told me about it and this is something we might get into in a later call, maybe a little bit on this call, but we'll definitely be talking about this more. But we believe that we have a higher self um, who is uh, an angel. It's kind of has some overlap with, you know, the traditional... I don't know if you'd say it's a traditional Christian belief, but it's definitely more more accepted of, you know, the guardian angel. But where we differ with that is we actually think this angel is actually, it's not just a guardian angel, it's, it's like a higher you, it's actually basically a higher self, you know, it's a part of you, you're a part of it, and uh, so this thought, uh, I think my angel told me this, um, He told me about this thing that I remember reading. Well, I mean, he made me remember this, but I, I read this a long, long time ago. But it's about the satanic holidays that happened from April 19th to May 1st. I don't know if you're familiar with this, Ross.
1: Oh, yeah. There's like uh, the eight uh, high holy day or unholy days of the I don't know, Wicca, Pagan calendars, Satanic calendars, all that?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Of which
1: Halloween Halloween and the the winter solstice, which we celebrate Christmas on, and is Easter also one of them? Yes. Yeah.
0: But, so here, I'm just going to read this little excerpt here. It's just off some website I, you know, Googled about this, but um, it says April 19th to May 1st, blood sacrifice to the beast a most critical 13 day period fire sacrifice is required on april 19 okay so (laughs) (laughs) you know just just happens to be the day right before you know my 3 a.m demon attack um April 19th is the first day of the 13-day satanic ritual day relating to fire, the fire god Baal or Molech, you know, slash Nimrod, the sun god, also known as the Roman god Saturn, Satan, the devil. This day is a major human sacrifice day, demanding fire sacrifice with an emphasis on children. This day is one of the most important human sacrifice days and as such has had some very important historic events occur on this day. Remember, the Illuminati considers war to be a most propitious way to sacrifice, for it kills both children and adults. Some of the very important historic dates that were staged according to this Blood Sacrifice Day are 1. April 19, 1775, Battle of Lexington and Concord, which made the Masonic-led Revolutionary War inevitable. 2. April 19, 1943, after trapping the last Jewish resistance fighters in a storm drain in Warsaw and holding them for several days, Nazi stormtroopers began to pour fire into each end of the storm drain using flamethrowers. They continued pouring the fire into the drain until all fighters were dead. Blood sacrifice brought about by a fiery conflagration. Conflagration. 3. April 19, 1993... Fifty years later to the day, government troops, tanks, and other military equipment stormed the compound of David Koresh and his followers at Waco, Texas. Certainly, this operation fulfilled the basic requirements for human sacrifice, trauma, fire, and young sacrificial victims. April 19, 1995, Oklahoma City bombing. Once again, many young children were killed this day. April 19th of any year in the 20th century is a day of fearful contemplation, for it seems that as we head into the final stretch of time, Satan is becoming more and more bold and is using April 19th more often. So so that's what I think my angel made me remember. I mean, why would this thought just come to me out of the blue, you know?
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, I think there's a reason for that, because it's possibly related <laughs> because, you know, I wasn't just attacked the one night. It's been, as it was consecutive, you know, three days in a row now. I've been woken up at the same time. I mean, that's bizarre.
3: So, I don't
0: know. What do you think? Do you have any comments yeah. on that? Or? I
3: mean,
1: yeah, if, if they are... Uh... You know, if the Satanists are doing blood sacrifices behind closed doors around Mm -hmm. the world at this time, then, I mean, yeah, it's going to amp up demonic activity. I mean, you know, Mm
0: -hmm. they're definitely
1: going to pray for curses and harassment over their enemies and, you know, being Christians, that would be us.
0: Yeah, we would de facto be targeted individuals.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Alright, well I was going to continue reading um Lost Data if you're if you're alright with that.
1: Continue on.
0: Um so the next section is called uh, Righteous Righteous Earthlings Become Elohim. So you know, obviously the author has some heliocentric uh slant in there when she says earthlings, you know, but that That's what she means by that, cause she believes in heliocentrism, but hmm. you can just interpret that to mean you know mankind or you know people, whatever right. um, it says quote The house of David shall be as Elohim as the angel of Yahuwah before them end quote zechariah twelve eight that's a pretty interesting verse. There are many examples that show that mortals ascend through righteousness to eventually become Elohim, or gods. One occurs in Zechariah 12.8. David and the house of David, who are long in the spirit world by Zechariah's time, shall be as Elohim, as messengers of Yahweh. quote. Abraham is told, quote, you are a prince of Elohim, end quote, in Genesis 23.6-7. In Genesis eighteen 1, three men, in Genesis eighteen two, who the Bible refers to as Yahuwah, visit Abraham. Apparently in those days, when messengers of Yahuwah were seen, it was understood that these messengers were one in Yahuwah. It should also be noted that the spelling Yahuwah, Jehovah, or I-E-V-E was not used in any cases where a plural number of gods appear speaking as one. Jehovah, or I-E-U-E is used instead. See also the section on I am becoming or he is becoming. Okay, so this kind of ties into the comment I made earlier of our belief in this higher angelic self, which I believe we can deduce from Scripture. She kind of gives some passages here, but this also... uh, This was a tradition in in Valentinianism as well. They believe this. They believe that we originally were a composite being. We originally were one with our angelic self, and they believe that basically the fall happened when we were split or divided from our angelic self. And, uh, you know, reconciliation or they had a name for it. It was like, uh, it started with an A. Let me see if I can Google it, because it's really hard to pronounce. It's kind of their word for, like, you know, the ultimate reconciliation. You know, like the reversal of the fall, basically. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Yeah, I think it's this. It's called Apocatostasis apocatastasis. And it it actually defines it here from Wikipedia as reconstitution, restitution, or restoration to the original or primordial condition. Yeah. So, the Valentinians believe that that was when we we would be reunited uh, with our angelic self at the resurrection. They actually believe that that's what happens when we're resurrected, we're reunited with our angelic self. Um, you know, and that's that's our the that's our immortal bodies that we take on you know so there's this kind of this common uh misconception that you'll find if you like study Gnosticism is that a lot of people will say that you know Gnostics didn't believe in a physical resurrection, some of them didn't, but some of them did it just it depends on how you define it. The Valentinians did they just believe that you will be physically resurrected but you'll you'll have a different body. You're not going to have the same body. You know what I mean? You're you're going to have a superior body. It's going to be a basically an angelic body. And you you kind of see that uh described in the New Testament, you know, Paul talks about you know, their earthly bodies and their celestial bodies or heavenly bodies. Right. Um and, you know, he says, we, we will put on, you know, we will put on immortality. Um, also, obviously, you see when Jesus uh, resurrected, and he had his resurrection body, he was obviously capable of things, you know, he was could walk through walls, he could, uh, like, disappear, um, change, change his form, like, disguise himself. And he could do all kinds of stuff, you know. Obviously, he had a superior body. You know, he was changed. It wasn't. It wasn't the exact same. Um, so yeah, I, I I believe that. I share that view with the Valentinians. But the problem is, the Valentinians they had a false anthropology. They didn't believe that sin had anything to do with the fall or anything, which was common in Gnosticism. They didn't really have a have a doctrine of sin, or at least not not in a way that I don't. I, not in a way that it's taught in the Bible. I don't think. Um, they believe not in a, sin. Not
1: as a, a personal crime against God To be forgiven
0: Yeah, exactly Or or even, or even a state You know, even a state that you You know, inherited You yeah. know, like a, the doctrine of collective guilt You know, or federal Federal headship And then a, an imputation of guilt You know, through a bloodline The Bible obviously teaches that, you know
2: That's why we're all
0: them. Yeah Right imputed guilt, you know we're not we're not responsible for Adam's sin, but we do inherit his sinful nature, which inclines us at birth to sin. you see that mm-hmm. I mean, the Bible does teach that wouldn't you agree
2: yeah, yeah, very clearly
0: so yeah they they didn't they they didn't believe that they believed that sin was basically ignorance. Ignorance of, you know, their 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 whole thing that you know, Gnostic derives from the word you know, gnosis, which meant knowledge. You know, their whole thing was sin was ignorance, and in order to basically achieve quote unquote salvation, it was was through gnosis or knowledge. You know, the opposite of sin or ignorance in in their scheme of things. They believe that basically that ignorance was brought about by matter, the material realm. Uh, they they thought it basically blinded you to the true reality, you know, the spiritual realm where you're which was your true home, your true state, you know, one with your angelic self up in the up in the floaty place. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: As Drake would say. But I mean yeah. I I agree with him there to an extent, just not you know, not fully on the sin part, but I you do you do kinda see that in the in the Bible taught about, you know, the material world. I mean it does say kinda there are verses that uh definitely do say stuff like that, you know. I definitely, I, I would affirm that the material world is inferior. It's it's uh I don't think it is our true home. I think I would agree with him there, but it's not inherently evil, which is what um, some some gnostics believe. Um, I, I definitely don't think that. You know, God clearly says in Genesis. You know, He He clearly called the creation good, but it, He didn't. Good doesn't mean it was perfect, though. That doesn't mean it was. Uh, that doesn't mean it wasn't inferior, you know, to a yeah. superior reality.
1: Doesn't so, mean it's the best it, that could be, but it is. Right. Good
0: in His sight. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was good in a qualified sense, just like Adam was perfect in a qualified sense, you know, but he wasn't, obviously if he fell, he was mutable, he was changeable, so he wasn't, um, perfect in an absolute sense. So, so yeah, that's kind of the tangent there. Um, so let's see, <clears throat> she goes on, she says, quote, it is a rare thing that the king requires and there is none that can show it before the king except the Elohim whose abode of them is not in the flesh." End quote. Daniel 2:11. Moses was the first example in the Old Testament where the rank of Elohim was extended to a mortal and it was by order of Yahweh Exodus 7:1. The Old Testament tells the people, quote, "Elohim and officers, you shall make at all your gates that Yahweh your God has given you throughout your tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. End quote. Deuteronomy sixteen eighteen. In the Old Testament, Moses is already called by the title Elohim even during his lifetime. Quote, See, I have made you an Elohim to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. End quote. Exodus 7, 1. I was going to say, too... <laughs> another verse or another passage re- that you could use to deduce what we're talking about and to support this, that um, your spirit is actually connected, is, is basically connected to a higher spirit that's actually an Elohim or a god or an or an angel. Um, you, have to under- you have to understand that angel just means messenger, so that just describes vocation. It's just a job title. It's a, it's an office or a position. But, function. Right, right. It's a function, but that it says nothing about their nature. You know, they're they're Elohim by nature. That's their nature. They're divine. You know, they're divine beings. They're immortals. Hmm. And so, another passage you can kind of use where you can see this is where the Witch of Endor calls up uh, Samuel. And he actually says, I see a, a Elohim or a god coming up out of the earth. You're familiar with that verse? Yes, I am. Yep. Because there you go. Because his spirit was an Elohim. You know, it was a god. <laughs> you know? And that's why I think that uh, ancestor worship was basically universal in the ancient world. It's basically like the oldest religion, ancestor worship because the ancients understood this, they understood that their ancestors were connected to gods, you know, their spirit. And that's why they worshiped them. You know, that's what that explains the ancestor worship. What do you what do you think about that? Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I mean that it makes a lot of sense.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Okay, so He says, uh, in the following verse, the word Elohim was replaced to prevent the understanding that it can also mean a mortal who is ranked above oneself. Joseph, while serving an Egyptian master who left everything in his hands, replied to his master's wife when she tried to seduce him, quote, there is no Elohim in this house above me and he has not withheld anything from me except you because you are his wife so how could I do the Elohim evil and sin against Elohim? End quote. Genesis 39.9. Quote, For what nation is so great who has Elohim so near them? End quote. Deuteronomy 4.7. In Exodus, the midwives were commanded to kill the male children, but, quote, the midwives feared the Elohim. E, Elohim, or Ha, Elohim, with the plural predicator the. Remember that E, the word Equals the word the, and did not, and did not, as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. Therefore Elohim dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very strong. End quote. Exodus one seventeen through twenty. While many of the relatively modern translators of biblical texts attempt to state that the plural form of the term Elohim refers to the quote, Trinity. It should be remembered that the Trinity was a concept developed by Origen of Alexandria. It is nowhere specifically elucidated in the original Hebrew version of the Old Testament. The early form of Trinitarianism was developed by Origen to combat the so called Gnostic view of a celestial council of Elohim, which was understood by the early church. If there was a Trinity from the beginning, surely Yahweh would have commanded it to be stated explicitly somewhere in Genesis as the existence of such a trinity would have been of the most fundamental importance to Yahweh's establishment of his religion at that time. Do you want to comment on the trinity at all? Do you, do you affirm or deny a belief in the trinity?
1: I'm not, uh, I don't believe in it as it is taught in mainstream uh, Christianity. It uh, From Sunday school, we're taught that, you know, you've probably seen that diagram, Chris, that has, you know, God, the Son and the Holy Spirit on the three points of the triangle.
0: The triangle, yeah. And yep. then along
1: the sides, connecting each one to the other ones, you'll see yep. is not
0: yep. but it is. So
1: the Father yeah. is not the Son, is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. But all right. connect to this this uh circle in the middle which says right. God or the Godhead, you know. Right. And and they'll and they'll say is that.
0: Right. Um
1: The problem, well, the first one that comes to mind, there's a few, and there's plenty of verses to wonder about. But anyway, the one that uh, comes to mind first is, uh, uh, you know, I'm not sure where it is. I think it's in 1 Corinthians. But anyway, it's talking about the hierarchy between husband and wife in a marriage. Sure. And uh, it says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church.
0: Yep, and God uh, is the head of Christ, and, and
1: God is the head of Christ, right? right. So, you know, the triangle—it's it, usually inverted, so the the bottom is pointing down, and it has uh, God the Father and God the Son as equal partners,
2: mm-hmm. which right. uh,
1: Jesus himself, you know, didn't uh, preach that. He you know he said he he did only what he saw his Father doing. And right. uh, you know, why are you calling me good? Nobody but God is good. When the Pharisees tried to flatter him, right? One time, yeah, uh, anyway, it's a it's a denial of the hierarchy expressed in that verse. In uh,
0: again, I sure. think it's
1: First Corinthians.
0: Sure. Yeah, I would agree, and I would deny. I would also deny a belief in the Trinity. Um, I would say that uh, I mean the Father and the Son are definitely not ontologically equivalent. And you can definitely deduce that from very clearly from scriptures in the New Testament, such as the one you mentioned. There's also one in Revelation that says, you know, no one knows the day or the hour, uh, not even the Son, you know, not the angels, only the father. I mean, I don't know how you're going to work. There's no way to work that one and make them, you know, ontologically equal in an absolute sense at every point along the line, because obviously they don't have equal knowledge. You know so um, see so yeah, i i i don't think their attributes are equal in an absolute sense, but um they're not ontologically equal. The father is superior in terms of hierarchy, I also don't think they're the same numeric being um, the son is clearly subordinate, but I do think that the son is a divine he is a divine being um, mm-hmm. we can you know we can. Get more into detail on that later, but also the Holy Spirit. Just to comment on that, um, there is no verses anywhere that say that the Holy that even affirm that the Holy Spirit is a distinct person from the Son or the Father. Would you agree with that?
1: Right. I mean, He's definitely from God in some sense. He's yeah, God, God's Spirit somehow. But yeah, He proceeds yeah, from like God. a person, no.
0: Exactly. Right. Yeah. There, there's no indication that he's a distinct person, wouldn't you agree, from either the son or the father?
2: Right.
0: Yeah. And there's no verse that says to worship him either, anywhere in the New Testament. So, my belief on the Holy Spirit, actually, again, I'm gonna name drop uh, Dave Eager from Out of Darkness into the Light again, because yeah, I got, <laughs> I actually got this. His doctrine of the Holy Spirit from him, but I, I, I'm going to be honest, guys. Like, I've looked at this for, like, years. I've, like, racked my brain trying to figure this stuff out, the theology of the Bible. And i got to say, I think he has the best explanation of the Holy Spirit that I've come across that explains all these verses. He thinks that the Holy Spirit is... Well, I think I actually got it on writing here. I'll just read. Um... Let's see if I can find it. Okay, yeah. So, the Holy Spirit is a composite being, or thing, or entity. He basically thinks that the Holy Spirit is what you'd say is like a singular plurality. It's both... A singular thing in some verses, and it's a, a plurality. But it's like a composite entity. Because you see there's some verses that say, you know, God is the Spirit. There's also another verse in the New Testament that says, uh, Christ is the Spirit. Are you familiar with that one? Or the Lord is the Spirit?
1: Uh I know you've shown me before, yeah.
0: Yeah. So... And there's also other verses that indicate there's like a plural nature to the spirit like it describes it as like a cloud you know that like surrounds it's like a cloud of witnesses um so he basically thinks it's like it's a composite being that's composed of basically all of the Elohim like all spirits are connected mm-hmm. and it all perceived from God and but but Christ is the head of the Holy Spirit that proceeds from God and uh, you know it it funnels down through all the Elohim, you know, through Christ. He's ahead of it. And there's also a reverse side of it, you know, a dark dark side, because the the Bible also talks about an unholy spirit. You're familiar with that, right? The spirit of the Antichrist? Uh huh. Yeah, so there's like a dark there's a dark side to it too. But I only think there's one spirit. You know, it's just one spirit. It's the dark part emerged out of this, the one spirit as well. You know, God... When
1: just, you, sorry, go ahead.
0: God withdrew light from it to give it a dark or murky quality, just like I was talking about earlier, you know, on how, light, how darkness emerged from light. It's a form of light. God just darkened it when he withdrew some of his light from it um and and he did that in order to equip uh basically the people who would be of the unholy spirit to um play out an antagonistic role in in, in the creation you know mm-hmm. and yeah. I believe you know and on the, actually this is a hold on this is actually sorry this is actually taught in the Dead Sea scrolls too if you if you read that they they believe this as well um and they believe that basically the head of the... They called it the sons of light and the sons of darkness, okay? And they believe that the head of the sons of light or the Holy Spirit was uh, McKelzadek, heavenly McKelzadek. There's some speculation on who that was, whether it was... They met Michael or you know, possibly Christ or... You no. Know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's... You know, they probably met Christ, but... It could have been Michael, I guess, too, but... um. And then they believe that the head of the unholy spirit was, uh, uh, or the sons of darkness, was Melchiresha, which was basically their the prince of darkness, like their Satan figure. Uh, so I believe that as well, you know, the, the head of the unholy, the spirit of the Antichrist is obviously Satan. You know, and he's the the opposite of Christ, or, you know, he opposes Christ as the head of the Holy Spirit. Um, so go ahead and what were you going to say? Uh, hold on. Let me, it'll
1: come to me. (laughs) Okay. So when you say that they're all, you know, all this, you know, spirit comes from one source. Now, obviously that's going to, I mean, that triggered me the first time I heard it. So I'm assuming you, you think it's a little bit different than the concept of the force from Star Wars where there's just a a good side in life I mean surely there's some it's the same substance right but obviously it's divided into sides for now
0: Uh, ultimately yes I would say yes Um, but well you gotta understand though that, that all spirit is eternal right right I mean and the Bible doesn't say anywhere that spirit is created. It, it describes it as having emerged out of God in, like, an emanation yeah. process. Right. So, you know, it, it, just from there, you would have to deduce that, I mean, this is really the only explanation, you know. Um, obviously, there weren't two spirits in the past, and there's there's no scripture that says spirit is created, you know, so this would be the only logical conclusion you
2: know uh you
1: right, know I'm, saying? Saying, I'm saying that they're not simply i mean sure, I'm saying there's opposition between dark and light they're not just uh too you know like a yin yang, it's not just you know it's there's more gravity, there's more danger, oh yeah the,
0: well it, you know well I mean. the, well it's not like the it's not it's not pantheism where it's just an impersonal force. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah, it's not like that. Obviously, you know, there's an intelligent creator behind it, and, you know, basically, what I believe is God, God is trying to illustrate things about himself, okay? He's trying to illustrate his attributes to to us mortals. And the Mm -hmm. way he does that is through, you know, in each creation cycle, he... I mean, it's through predestination. You know, he predestines certain souls or spirits to be elect, and then certain souls or spirits to be reprobate and have them oppose each other, you know, in these, like, scripted dramas, like a morality play, in order to highlight or illustrate at certain attributes about himself. I mean, Paul even, like, basically argues this When when he's talking about predestination in the New Testament, he says, "You know, the Potter made some. uh, Oh, what the hell? What is it? I'm gonna have to pull it up.
1: Yeah, some vessels for honorable and some for
0: dishonorable. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some vessels for honor and some vessels for dishonor. Right. In order to illustrate his, you know, his wrath and his justice, you know. Yeah.
1: So basically, you're you're extending Calvinism to the spirit realm.
0: Right." Yeah,
1: it's not just for humans. It's for the angels and the mm-hmm. the Elohim, you know.
0: Right. Well, yeah, we're just the lower form of the the angels. I believe we're just the mortal, uh, we're basically the mortal incarnations of them. Right. And we're we're connected. Our spirits are connected to our spirits are basically the lower form of them. It's a composite entity. We're the lower form of a higher spirit. See that
1: yeah kind of i i think of it when you say that. it makes me think of those vent hoods those sealed uh vent hoods that you they use in science labs where uh-huh. they have these rubber glove sleeves that you can reach in and and mess with the chemicals inside the box without uh-huh. actually being exposed to them yourself like the the hand in the glove
2: almost
0: yeah well i mean i i I think we see this too, how Christ, you know, he was, I think he was the lower, he was the lower form of, I would, I would say Yahweh, you know, a heavenly Yahweh. We've talked about this before, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you see the same thing there, you know.
1: The avatar, Uh, you could say.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the earthly avatar. Uh Uh-huh.
1: It's almost like, uh, and I mean no disrespect to God, but, uh, it's like uh, your personalized player in a video game.
0: Well, you know it's funny. I actually think they created the video game series The Sims as mockery. They're they're literally telling you like this this is reality. Like this is <laughs> like this is how it works.
1: Second Life.
0: Huh.
1: Second Life.
0: Well, I mean they they call it the Sims. You know, I mean it's everything is it is basically a simulation. You know, we're, we're we're Sims, okay. We're Sims of our higher selves, and our higher selves are Sims of God, basically. You know, it's everything. I think everything's scripted, it's all predestined. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, 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 yeah. So I would affirm. You you mentioned you brought up Calvinism. I would affirm uh, Calvinism to, for the most part. There's some things I would disagree with. Obviously, I, I don't believe in universal hell. Or uh, uh, eternal hell. I would disagree with them on that. That was uh, that was basically an essential part of Calvinism. Also, well, I think Calvinists might have made this distinction, but I think that everything is predestined. I don't. I don't believe that there is a viable middle position between absolute predestination and basically free will. I think that's a uh, a fallacy called the appeal to moderation, because um, if everything is not ultimately caused by God, you you run into a logical problem. Basically, if you have causes that aren't ultimately caused by God, either they would have an infinite regress of, of a causal regression, you know, if if their ultimate cause isn't God, which mm-hmm. I. I don't know how you're going to make that work, either, you know, with the Bible or logically. Or, they would have, their ultimate cause would be something independent of God. So, you you would be affirming that there's some independent causal agent that, you know, has causal power outside of God. You know what I mean? I mean, the Bible, I don't know how you're going to make that work either. (laughs) You see how that could create problems? Yeah. So uh I think that everything I think that basically there's a distinction between what I, and well Drake he, he talks about this too. Uh there's a difference between like a formal cause or a permissive decree and a and an efficacious cause. Basically um God predestined everything, but he he's not the efficacious cause of everything, like we're still responsible for our actions because we we are the efficacious cause of our actions, you know what I mean but God scripted everything in advance like he 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 permitted it it's like a formal decree you know as opposed to an efficacious cause mm-hmm. you see you kind of you kind of get what I'm saying there, yeah, or you see that there's a there's a distinction. Mm.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. So And the Bible, you know, it does it does talk about that. There's, you know, there's first causes and there's secondary causes. Um, like, for instance, there's verses that say, uh, you know, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Or there's other verses that say, you know, Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart. You know. Um, it's, you know, it's talking about first causes and secondary causes. Um, So, yeah. You got anything else you want to say on that?
1: Now, when you, when you quote that verse that says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart, Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. So, I always used to interpret that before I admitted that Calvinism is you know, if you're intellectually honest, when you read yeah. that uh, passage in the New Testament about the Potter and some vessels for honorable and dishonorable purposes, you know, you have to admit, right. at some point, Calvinism is true, which is, yeah, extremely upsetting. You know, when you, yeah, you, know, you realize that some people, at least in this cycle, aren't going to make, aren't going to be saved. Yep. Yep. Um. So, would it be correct? Would I be correct in rewording that? Uh, verse that says and God hardened Pharaoh's heart as as this and God and, and God's actions caused Pharaoh's heart to be hard? Or should it or
2: should it be say taken God, as
1: God literally did this in order to you know intending to harden his heart. He like he made it happen. You you see what I'm saying? The difference?
0: Well yeah, you could say that God God's formal decrees um you know, made Pharaoh harden his heart. So God decreed everything, you know, before creation. But Pharaoh was still the efficacious cause of hardening his own heart. You know. I see. He was, you know, he still did that himself. He was responsible for that. But ultimately, God decreed it, you know, and he before creation, and he scripted all that out. But it's just like an see, I. I describe it this way, too. I've used this analogy before. It's just like an author who writes a story about, like, a murderer, okay? So I'm an author, and I write a story about a murderer. Am I responsible for that murderer's actions? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, no? (laughs) You know, God could have wrote a story which had murderers in it. That doesn't make him guilty of the murderer's crimes or responsible for their crimes you see that right
1: no i was saying yeah yeah I understand not yeah he is responsible
0: right right so
3: interesting hmm
0: so yeah back to what you were saying uh you know this kind of gets into the whole monism thing you know everything is the same substance uh again i i kind of already addressed this in some last videos in the last uh podcast but i think that god he also imposed distinctions onto the creation onto the create onto this creation cycle in order to uh you know highlight aspects about himself or illustrate his attributes and these distinctions i think exist as abstract propositions in his mind that he revealed to us you know he said, you know, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You know what I mean? He's obviously making a distinction there of something not to do. You know, of, of, uh, you know there's there's ultimate evil, there's ultimate good. You no. Know. he imposed those distinctions onto the creation. You see that? So it doesn't mean it. It doesn't mean we're affirming monism that everything's of the same substance and that there are no distinctions. You know, and that. What I mean, some kind of pantheistic structure, um, we would obviously differ from that, <laughs> um, but I do think ultimately, uh, you know, everything will be dissolved, I, I do, I do believe that everything ultimately will be dissolved, uh, back up, basically back into God you know, since it all came out of God. Um, So I would also affirm a universal reconciliation. Uh, I I actually think, again, I think you can deduce that from Scripture. It's pretty explicit, actually, in the New Testament. Um, In Colossians, I showed you those verses, didn't I? Mm
2: -hmm. It says
0: all things, it, it makes no, I mean, it makes no qualification. It's pretty, you know, universal. I mean, it's it says all things will be reconciled, whether on heaven, whether in heaven or on earth. All Basically, all created things, you know, through Christ, you know, will be reconciled through Christ. You know? It's just a matter of when. You know, it's just some people are sooner than other people, you know? Some people eventually, and others sooner. Now, so, when you say
1: that, sorry, let me little question here.
0: When you say that
1: uh, I'm, you know, with all the other logic backing up these views, I'm inclined to agree, but then I remember that, you know, many verses talking about, you know, those who are punished and go to hell. uh, Like, for instance, the people who received the mark of the beast in Revelation. It says the smoke of their torment arises forever and ever. It seems to uh, suggest an eternal hell.
0: No, 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 no. Uh Uh-uh. That's, so, that's is all, that a
1: bad translation of forever and yeah, ever, or yeah. what? Yeah, because it all okay. it all
0: comes from the same root words. You know, the aeonos, aionios, where we get the you know the English aeon, or in the in the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew olam.
1: Well,
0: okay, and basically both the terms mean the same thing. They just mean an indefinite period of time, but not forever, not eternity. Because there's multiple passages that that explicitly would contradict that interpretation. Uh, there's actually, um, I mean, there's some verses where just the wording itself, like it it actually says, you know, "olam" will come to an end, or the beginning of Aionios, or the beginning of "olam." Like it'll it'll explicitly say, like in the sentence structure and how it's worded, that 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 interpretation cannot be true of that word, you know. Cause it would just it would render that's the right. whole thing unintelligible you can you can look that up, you can see all those there's some good articles on that that break that down, but yeah um, now I've
1: studied a, t- a tiny bit of Hebrew, and I do remember that sometimes olam is translated eternity, and sometimes Olam means world or age, like
0: right, yeah, the world age, much. yeah, that's the more consistent translation see that would explain all the passages, just the world age, you know. I mean that's well, that's, that's where that, that's where we get you know the word the English word aeon from aeonios the greek you know does aeon in english mean forever and eternal no it just means like an age you know just like a long a long period of time <laughs> you know yeah yeah i mean that's that's i think that was the ancient view that's what all the ancients believed because all the ancients believed in you know world ages they didn't believe in linear time. They believed that time was cyclical, you know, because they believed in they basically believed that it it all uh played out according to the zodiac, you know, it was a wheel. You know, these ages. And then there was uh there was sub ages within each age. Um, you know. There's actually a really good book on this. I have it, it's called uh, Hamlet's Mill. It talks about this. It basically makes the case that this was a universal view in the ancient world. They all believed they all affirmed a belief in what's called the Great Year. And you hear different uh you you hear different uh numbers that they give for the, the uh the length of that, but I, I think it was the ancient view it was twenty four thousand years. And I think that uh each age of the zodiac is uh two thousand years long. Um. So I mean, there you go.
1: So twelve ages per cycle.
0: Yeah. Yep. Interesting. And there's you know there's sub ages within each age too. I think. Um. I was also gonna say I actually just remembered this, but I was gonna say from my last podcast, remember I talked about the serpent symbol? Yeah. I think that uh represent you know, well they obviously use that to represent spirit. Um, I also think that was a that was they used that to represent basically transformation, and that all you know that reality is alchemical, you know, because obviously you can see how the snake would represent that, you know, because it sheds its skin and it's it rejuvenates yeah. itself, huh. you know, and it's also the circle, you know, it's when it has its its you know the Ouroboros when it has its tail in its mouth. Because that you know, if you if you understand, if you're an emanationist, which again, I believe we can deduce from Scripture, like I laid out in the previous previous podcasts, I think that we you can also deduce. Obviously, um, you know, everything would obviously be cyclical. It would it would uh, emerge out of and return back to God. You know, everything everything would be cyclical. It'd be a it would Work work according to like a spiral, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it would uh, it be it would it would have ebb, ebbs and flows. It, it, it's kind of like an, an ocean, you know, like waves. Uh, that, that's how I think that um, the base matter or the ether. That's how I think it, it works. Um, that's why I think that they, you know, they use that symbol, the snake, as well. because it represents, you know, the alchemical nature of reality. You know, it's... Uh... You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh-huh. But... So you have anything else you want to say on that? No. Okay. Uh, let's see. Oh, okay, so I was also going to say that, um, obviously, we would... So we... I also think we can deduce from scripture and that would be consistent with our view we would affirm a belief in uh, obviously hell is not eternal Uh, I think we would believe that hell is purgatorial Um, basically I think we got psyoped on the the, I think the Illuminati or these these canite techno archons like you call them (laughs) that's a good term I think that they you know the, the doctrine of a the of a eternal hell I think is just completely artificial. I think they rolled that out there. Uh not only to give basically a false image of God, basically to deter people from Christianity and from the biblical God. Uh but also because obviously just think about it. I'm not just and I'm not saying that uh you know we can determine truth using, you know, us as a standard, but there are, you know, just, just, it it really doesn't make sense for God to punish a finite sin with an eternal punishment, you know, because, I mean, you can just deduce, you know, from his system of justice just in the Old Testament, it was all an eye for an eye, you know, the the punishment always uh, matched the crime, or it fit the crime, you know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was penal. You know, you see that all throughout the Old Testament. You know, <laughs> even uh, it was it, Abraham said when he tried to, you know, intercede with Yahweh to prevent him from destroying uh Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, he said, you know, will will the judge of all the earth not um, what is it? Judge righteously or do do righteously? Mm-hmm. I forget how that passage goes. Let me see. I want to quote that one right because it's important.
3: Just get it here real quick. Yeah, it says... uh, shall not
0: the judge of all the earth do what is just, you know. So, I mean, what do you think about that? Would you agree? I'd have to, yeah. Mhm. So, I think that, you know, they also rolled that out there to consolidate power under the, the Roman Catholic Church because they used that, you know, as a they also use that to corral people under their authority and to get them to, what did they call those things that they made people pay, you know, to atone for their sins?
1: Uh, to atone or to, uh, are you talking about indulgences?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, you're, think-
0: why, why did you say atone? Was that not right?
2: or, or well, I, I,
1: remember. In, I guess that might be right, but I guess I thought indulgences were like you pay for permission to sin in the near future. It was like, it was like pre, pre confessing for a sin you were going to commit. I thought that's what it was. Maybe you're right. I don't,
0: I don't know, but uh, mm. yeah,
1: indulgence uh, is I definitely ar- something.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I remember do. it. Let me, let me look it up real quick.
1: You're probably right. I,
0: I I know they made, basically, they made them pay for something that made them, you know, because they had this belief in eternal hell that they taught them, right? Yeah. So they made them pay for this thing, you know, that, oh, you got to pay us so that you won't suffer this horrible fate, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You obviously see how they'd work that, uh, they could work that angle, um,
1: Now, it's good that you're clarifying that we don't uh, believe in everything the Catholic Church does, because we, well, you say you said purgatorial a minute ago, so people might think that we're Catholics, which is right. not so.
0: Yeah, no, no. I do think there's a lot of truth in Catholicism. For instance, yeah, purgatory. Because right. <laughs> I think that hell, I mean, that's hell. You know, the Illuminati stopped us, psihoped us with that. You know, that is hell. Purgatory is hell, you know. It's just, that's the mm-hmm. biblical hell it's the same thing you know what I mean yeah so basically we, me and Ross Ross and I would affirm that Christianity is a it's a false religion would you agree with that Ross
1: yes the mainstream version of Christianity which you find in all the institutions seminaries yeah. churches yeah, yeah. and that, that doesn't mean that there's not true Christians or you know followers of the messiah right in there that aren't saved but yeah
0: oh yeah sure
1: the, the mainstream is a controlled uh, source and yeah plenty of and speech also,
0: policing well i mean it, it just think it emerged out of the roman catholic church which we know is a false system right you know? how could the true religion emerge out of a out of a false system? It makes no sense at all But uh, we would also affirm that basically all religions are false. Would you agree with that? Yeah.
1: All mainstream institutionalized religions are false.
0: They all emerge out of the same institution, basically. And that's not to say that there isn't truth in Christianity or that there's not even the true way in Christianity because I think there is. You know, it's Christ, obviously. Mm -hmm. But um, that's basically where it ends (laughs) Uh, again I have alluded to this in a past call we believe that uh, there was a cataclysmic event at the latter part of the first century um, that had worldwide effects I don't think it was necessarily worldwide um, but I do think it it's effects were worldwide, were felt worldwide. Just like how I believe with the flood, I don't think the flood was a universal or worldwide, but it had worldwide effects. Um, kind of the same thing with this. But I think this, this one's effects were worse because it was a, a catac- cataclysm of fire, which is a more destructive element than than water. And it had far worse effects, just basically right on down the line, in terms of Climate and the atmosphere and everything, uh, it just it messed up everything really bad. And uh, we think that this uh, aligns with um, statements uh, from Christ in the New Testament where he describes his return, he described his, you know, quote-unquote second coming as imminent, you know, he used imminency language. You know, he said, uh, all these things, you know, will uh, will happen in your generation when he's talking to his disciples. And he also talks to the Pharisees. He says, you will see, uh, you know, the Son of Man returning in the clouds, you know, the host of heaven. Uh, He also tells his uh, apostles, he says, you will not make it through all the towns of Israel. Uh, before, you know, I come. I mean, there's just dozens and dozens of these passages that, you know, if if you take them literally and you just deduce from them, you, this is an unavoidable conclusion that Christ returned in the first century and judged the world with fire. You know, the, the day of Yahweh in the Old Testament that was described in the Old Testament was the day of Christ in the New Testament, it was talking about the same day. And that's when the world was judged by fire and this basically universal cataclysm happened Um, is when uh, Christ or basically Yahweh, uh, (laughs) we'll get into that later, talking about his identity, but uh, yeah, he returned and he judged the world with fire, and he um, destroyed the institution of that time, which was, you know, Second Temple Judaism, completely, the apostolic uh, religion was just totally destroyed. And whatever remnants of it that did survive the cataclysm were basically destroyed shortly thereafter, because I believe, also based on, passages out of the Bible that we can deduce from that the enemies of God's people took control immediately after this cataclysm because they were the only ones that had power after this, and they assumed power and took control basically immediately after this happened. And, you know, they set up all their institutions, the Roman Catholic Church, Um, they created all these false religions that just Seemed to pop up out of nowhere just in that time period, you know, in the first century that had no historical uh, antecedent or precedent, like Gnosticism, uh, you know, modern Judaism, uh, you know, uh, Islam, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. Catholicism, this, you know, this uh, Constantinian Christianity.
3: Um, what would you do? You have anything to say on that?
1: Yeah, I. Uh, it sounded crazy to me the first time you told me that theory, but you know, it made me go back and look at the, at the verses that are purported to support preterism. And uh, yeah. there's, let's see, I, I found one site. It lists at least one hundred and one. Oh yeah. All the-
0: yeah, all the MNC you know? verses,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember being taught in Sunday school that when it said, uh, when Jesus said in Revelation and elsewhere, that behold, I am coming soon.
0: Oh, yeah. You
1: know, I, I was programmed to interpret that. Well, little Ross, that just means suddenly. It doesn't mean really he's going to come soon. Like, I mean, obviously <laughs> it's been 2,000 years. It can't be. So, yeah, right. I, I am at the point where I have to take those verses for what they're actually saying. And it seems to indicate that, yeah, he meant soon, like, there's one verse that says, uh, this generation will not pass away till all these things have happened, talking about the destruction of the temple of that time.
0: Exactly. Yep.
1: So, yeah, there's something being covered up, for sure.
0: And there's, I mean, there's all kinds of other evidence that we have to support this, but we don't, obviously don't have it readily available at this moment. We'll have to do another podcast on it, just, uh,
1: yeah, we got to compile that. That's going to be an interesting yeah.
0: one. I mean, there is a lot, wouldn't you agree? Uh, over mm-hmm. after I told you this is just, I think God revealed it to you. You know that this was true. It is just confirmation just kept coming. All the evidence. Yeah, b- biblical but you found a lot of evidence.
1: obscure itself. archaeological stuff.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of uh, hijinks that were going on. You know, and that. I mean, there's just all kinds of <laughs> chicanery that. that Accompanies that that period of time, you know that something definitely happened significant, basically worldwide, and history gigantic, was basically gigantic, trunc- yeah yeah history was basically truncated, and then we were given a false you know this this basically false chronology was assumed after that and um, imposed onto us, uh, and then it was covered up. And it wouldn't be that hard to cover up either, because I I also think you can deduce this from Scripture, and this is consistent with what we find actually happened. Uh, God's people were made illiterate. uh, Because, I mean, everything was destroyed on the surface, okay? Uh, Everything was destroyed by fire. And God's people were made illiterate. And the only people that were literate were their enemies, these satanists, these Cainites that we talk of, and they assumed power, you know, after that and set up these institutions and then they consolidated all their power by inventing the the inventing the language Latin, which uh basically further kept, you know, God's people down on the farm, you know, and kept them you know, under control and in their stupefied state you know because then they would obviously have to go through the satanic hierarchy just to you know acquire knowledge about anything and, you know because they couldn't read they had no records you know they, you can see how they, it, just, it was the perfect they, and they had the perfect opportunity to set all this up and to cover it up you know easily well it wouldn't have been hard at all you know would you agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I Also, I'd say probably the biggest hurdle, uh, I mean, the, the biggest really, the hardest thing to conceive on how this got covered up, I would say, would be like the physical element. Like, how did the world recover? You know, how, do we? Do, why don't we see, you know, evidence of this, you know, like in the physical reality, like in nature? But I think we do, but it's just being misinterpreted or we're not being told about it. But uh, I would say that that just, you know, testifies to the, again, the alchemical nature of reality, just how fast, you know, nature and, and the Earth can, like, recover from something like that, you know? I mean, it just, it can completely regenerate itself in a pretty short amount of time, you know? So... That would testify to that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's Revelation 1 1, you know, it says, you know, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, the things that must soon take place. <laughs> it says right there in Revelation 1 1, you know.
2: Okay.
0: And it's, yeah, I guess soon meant 2,000 years later and ongoing.
2: Yeah, obviously to, obviously obviously, say, God, obviously God.
0: God hold on obviously God doesn't communicate to us in a univocal way like when he says things to us like his meaning of things is completely different from how we understand it right I mean mm-hmm. that's yet yet, Pro, yet isn't it funny how most protestants they 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 speak like they don't believe that you know they say oh uh you know the per per perspicuity of the scriptures you know we can understand it ourselves you know personal judgment we can understand what it says you know God speaks to man univocally but but yet they don't believe they don't believe it about any of these verses <laughs>
1: yeah they spiritualize these all, you know? this verse here and here and here and uh
0: yeah
1: yeah, it, yeah it's like learning the pronunciation of English if you're a foreigner
0: yeah his meaning of soon here is a completely different meaning of you know how we understand soon he see that mm-hmm. you know they, they play catholic there you see it was, oh you know we got to appeal to some other you know higher you know authority to, to this meaning for us or this has some higher meaning you know that, that we can understand you know i mean it's just completely uh inconsistent
3: but So, uh,
0: let's see, getting back to the reading. So, we left off at talking about the Trinity. Um, so, she says, the Greeks took up origin schema in the latter later half of the 3rd century, but prior to the invention of the Catholic religion, the earliest followers recognized the Council of the Elohim as the destination of righteous mortals. Yeah, so, that would be angelification, is what that would be called. Or, uh, you know... We become divinized, and you know. Actually, you can actually deduce that from Scripture as well, because Christ says, you know, at the resurrection, you will be equal with the angels, or with the Elohim. And he also says there, we, will ju- we will judge. I'm sorry, me. Chris.
1: Chris. Sorry. Isn't there also? a... Oh, you're. Yeah, you're about to say it. I'm sorry.
0: What? What was about that? No, you're What's about, about to verse?
1: Quote, quote that verse that just came to my mind that will judge the angels. Yeah. Keep going.
0: Okay. Well I think I think when he said that too, you know, cuz I mean, who is going to be judged? Like in all these other verses when it's talking about judgment, it's talking about people being judged at the resurrection, right? Like sinners. Yeah, right. So I think I think that's another verse where it's confirming that we are angels. We are Elohim. He's he's equating them. See that? Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to judge angels because we're going to judge the resurrected, uh, sinners, or the reprobate, that are angels. I mean, they're the fallen ones, and, and, you know, they're the lower form of the fallen ones of the, you know, the dark hierarchy. So, let's see, She says, uh... In the 3rd century, at the behest of the Emperor Constantine, the New Testament was compiled and the Catholic version of Christianity was founded, excluding many Gospels and doctrines, and much of the previous understanding was thereafter lost. Uh, The Church adopted a form of Trinitarianism, which primarily sought to deny the plurality of the Elohim. The liberties taken with the translations of all the Hebrew names of various divine beings in the translations of the Old Testament is perhaps more than anything Is perhaps more than anything what has contributed to the now common misunderstanding that these names all indicate one and the same being, under the unilateral term, God, which is obviously an artificial invention. It thus reduces the original story to nonsense in the sight of anyone thinking logically and looking for consistency. For the serious student, the concept of a trinity is inconsistent, incoherent, and unfounded in the Old Testament. I would agree. You don't see the trinity at all in the Old Testament. I mean, you can't even pull it out of the Old Testament anywhere. It's not even alluded to at all. Most you could pull out of the Old Testament is binitarianism, and that's actually the more ancient view. You got any comments on that? Uh, no, sounds good. Okay, hold on. i got to grab my phone charger. My phone's going to die. No problem. You might as well fill up the dead air if you got anything to say.
1: Oh, no, don't make me do that. I'm eating a, a breakfast bar. <laughs> Just going to be chewing noises.
0: Uh, <laughs> 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 Better than Sorry. silence, I guess.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, hold on.
1: It's a really good breakfast
2: bar.
0: <laughs> Plugged it in. Yeah, I had a, a eye of round for dinner. Actually, it was actually wasn't that good. But, oh no! Oh no! Oh no, Ross! I, I, we don't advocate veganism. Oh no!
1: Certainly not.
0: We're, we're, we're not, we're not enlightened.
1: Veganism is the diet of slaves turned into a religion.
0: I would agree. And it it also completely destroys... uh, It's actually... I mean, it would totally... It's completely unsustainable, and it would completely destroy the natural world, basically. Um, If you were to institute veganism uh, universally, you would just totally destroy the world. You You would make all animals basically go extinct... What do you think about that? Would you agree? Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm certainly not going to
1: try to prove you wrong. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would say that veganism is good as a temporary detox diet. Oh, sure. And that's. And what... it's
0: funny too because all these vegans, you know, it's funny when you hear these vegans that they 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 pr- are praising veganism, and it's it's funny when you ask them like, how long have you been vegan? They'll be like, oh, a year for so you know they'll give some really short term time period mm-hmm. I've never heard a vegan who's been a vegan for like you know 30 years or something like that say that they're doing well or that they're doing yeah. good or that
1: yeah you know what I up mean? the upper limit is like 4 years oh yeah and then they just start to break down cuz they yep it's good in the beginning to detox but you need to have those animal derived uh, nutrients after a while you're going to die
0: you have to have the fat, fat soluble nutrients, and mm-hmm. and just the fat in general. Your whole body runs on fat. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but and you're not going to get the fat from eating nuts and seeds like vegans think either. Just combining yeah. the right nuts and stuff—that's not going to work. There's, there's not, not enough avocado in the world. No, no. <laughs> and it's not bioavailable either, like it is in animal products. Your body wouldn't even—it can't even use it. Um Yeah. But I was gonna say too that uh you know the reason that vegans usually praise it in the short term so much and experience such good benefits and side effects is because they cut out all the other crappy stuff, you know? That they normally would be eating, like all the processed food. Yeah, the
1: normal American sad diet.
0: Right. That that's why they're having all these benefits. It's from that. It's not and then they, it's its a false cause fallacy, see? It's after this, therefore because of this. It's, oh, I'm experiencing all, you know, I went, I went on a vegan diet and I'm experiencing all these good effects, therefore it has to be because of the vegan diet. See that? Uh, no, oh, could be because oh. you cut out, could be because you cut out all the other crap that you were normally eating. Did you ever think about that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's what it is. Because if you... Keep going on this diet, you're gonna die. You're gonna get sickly. You're gonna get weak. Your body's gonna shrivel up. You're gonna be, be actually become effeminate. You're gonna feminize yourself. You're gonna become infertile, and you're gonna die. So, it, would you agree with that?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've seen I've seen vegans that are shrimpy little dudes.
0: Oh yeah. yeah, high-pitched
1: voices and yellowed teeth. Yeah. It's like, yeah, dude, can't you see? Do you ever look in a mirror?
0: Yeah, do, I was just, just reading. I, I was just reading today about myelin. You know, are are you familiar with myelin?
1: That's the thing that the nerve nerve cells are sheathed in, right?
0: Yeah, it's literally made out of <laughs> it's made out of fat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> really?
0: Yeah, it's made out of fat, dude. If you're not getting fat. If you're not getting saturated fat. You're you're gonna have a bad time just in general. I mean, and yeah, you could you could you could try to argue and be like, oh well, you know, everything's alchemical, so the body can just produce these things alchemically. Well, I think maybe we could at one time, but I don't think that that's fe- I don't think that's feasible right now. Yeah, you know, I don't. I don't think we can, right? I think that's a false analogy, fallacy. I think the conditions today are just so bad that, and we're 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 in such a devolved, degenerated, degenerated state that, like, I just I don't even think that that's possible, you know. It, mm-hmm. I think that we need we need the fat, you know, we need it now. We just we need it for optimum health. I mean, you got to wonder why all these indigenous tribes, you know, like when Weston, B. Price, you know, went around and did all his research, you know, all of them. I mean, he actually wanted to find at least one example of a successful vegetarian or plant-based, you know, indigenous culture, and he didn't find any. (laughs) Yeah. didn't find any. I mean, the the most highly prized foods and sought-after foods of these indigenous cultures was animal products, were animal foods. Not only that, but all the sacred foods were all animal foods, <laughs> like organ meats and stuff. I mean, it, oh, man, you just have to be really dense to, to I mean, I, I just, I don't know what else to say, honestly. It's like... If you want to kill yourself, become a vegan.
1: Well, I can understand the atheists doing it, but, I mean, if you're a Christian, surely you've heard that, while, yes, Adam and Eve in Eden, before the fall, were meant to be fruitarian and, 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 you know, herbivores. Sure. After the flood happened, God said, hey, you guys can eat some of these animals now. Right. To Noah and his sons, because the world had degenerated then because of the flood. It changed. That was the end of an age, and he knew they right. need it from then on.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, also, I mean, again, it's that false analogy again. So, you know, people are people are assuming that there's a equal ratio between you know, like the conditions in Eden and the conditions of today, and like they're assuming that like our bodies function the same way, and that you know, they're making all kinds of fallacious assumptions when they they used that to say, "Oh well, we should be fruitarians or we should be vegans then you know well, first of all adam and eve they weren't they weren't doing any hard labor in the garden they were i mean it was all just leisure, you know it was all just leisure activities they weren't <laughs> i mean they didn't have to do any hard labor for one like the the conditions the conditions were totally different. You know, when we had to start doing hard labor and, like, become, you know, you know, have to do physically demanding tasks, you know, then, you know, obviously we needed to make uh, accommodations for that. You know what I mean? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, exactly.
0: I mean, it... And plus, (laughs) I think that plants and fruit, actually both, have evolved a lot since then as well. And if you look into... You know, uh, plants. And, I mean, plants and fruit. They they have chemicals in them, and they they defend themselves just like any other organism. Okay, there's things in them that are harmful. You don't hear vegans talking about this, you know, like the phytic acids and the linoleic acids and all these things. Um, there's all kinds of stuff that, that's harmful.
1: Yeah, lectins and alkaloids and glycos. Yep. Yeah, all of
0: it. lectins, yeah, those are huge. Yep. You never hear him talking about that, do you? <laughs> no. And you're not going to find any of that in in like meat, for instance. It it doesn't it doesn't have any of those harmful, you know, chemicals or anything. I mean, it.
3: Here's another thing.
0: People think that fiber is good for you. You literally can't digest fiber. You can't digest cellulose, fiber. I I mean so so how is that good for you exactly? You you literally can't digest it. You can digest meat. You 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 digest all of meat. You assimilate all of it because your body is made out of meat, okay? You're going to assimilate all of it. You're going to fully digest all of it. See, there's this misconception going around too based on, I think, some faulty uh, science that was promoted like in the 1800s, early 19th century about how if you eat meat, like, you you won't digest it fully and it'll just sit around in your colon remaining undigested for years on end. You know, have you heard about that? Yeah, I've heard that plenty of times. That's been completely debunked. It's totally false. Totally false, okay? Mm -hmm. It's a total lie. They've actually done experiments, like, uh, where they've uh, put meat in, like, a stomach, and a human stomach, and it was dissolved in, like, like, 20 minutes, like, minutes. And then they did the same thing with, like, some vegetables, and they just, like, sat around for hours. I mean... But, and if you look into it, too, uh, you'll find that the human digestive tract is actually the most similar to a canine's. Have you, have you researched that?
1: mm I hadn't heard of yeah.
0: that. Yeah. Yeah, we have a canine digestive tract. You can look into it, yeah. Yeah, just basically everything that's promoted and uh, almost everything that's promoted in veganism is like a total lie. It's just a total lie. I'm sorry, but...
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I have heard that... Human they're, they're, digestive they're tracts work, are exactly opposite canines, so there's plenty of disinfo out there.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's disinfo. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're working the dialectic. You see again. I, I find mentioned- it hilarious. I, I find it hilarious too. How? I mean, if you're a ve- if you're a vegan or like a, a fruitarian or. Aren't you technically eating, like, a high-carb diet, a high-sugar? Yeah.
1: That's what yeah, I mean, sugar <laughs> is. It's carbohydrate.
0: Yeah, and from what I've researched, basically the thing you want to avoid the most is carbs and sugar. Like, that's, that's like, the worst thing you can eat, you know? And it makes total sense, too, because, you know, when we used to live in our life, especially as Europeans, okay? So, yeah, Ross, you're a European, right?
1: As far as I know, I'm white, for sure.
0: Right, right. Yeah, we're Europeans, okay? So me, Ross and I are Europeans. So especially, like, with us, when we were living in our natural state, you know, before the whole Industrial Revolution scam and we were, you know, domesticated, this was especially, you know, true. Like, we would only be eating carbs or, like, you know, sugar, like, in, what, the summer and, like, maybe spring? You know, like Yeah, when whenever it's was-
1: seasonally available.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and then the whole rest of the year, what were we eating? Well, we were eating animal products. We are eating game, you know? Or I mean, just the amount of sugar that people are eating today, like, that's the cause of all these problems. It's totally, we're consuming way more sugar than people have ever consumed in the past. Like, it's off the charts ridiculous, you know? So uh, I don't know. I don't want to get too much more into that tangent, but I was gonna say too that I hold on. I was gonna say too that I think that the reason they promoted it like a vegetarian diet, in, for instance, like India, like with that caste system, Mm -hmm. was to keep those people, you know, down on the farm, keep them weak and passive, because that's what will happen if you. If you adopt that kind of diet, I mean it's been proven. So, see docile people, is people
1: Hindu cows.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. And people try to say that as if this is negative. They say that oh, if you eat, if you eat meat, it makes you aggressive. Uh yeah, it does. But are are men not supposed to be aggressive? Are are we supposed to be these passive, you know, apathetic, docile? Creatures, or are we supposed to be? I mean, seriously.
1: Girls with a penis.
0: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we're supposed to be aggressive. I mean, uh, uh, how's that a negative? I, I'm confused. I, yeah.
1: That's the nature of masculinity is to dominate,
0: not to oppress exactly.
1: necessarily, but to exactly. rule, exactly. To subdue, exactly. and have dominion over your territory.
0: Yeah. And that's what the, Illumi- the the Illuminati would not want. You know, they don't want us. You can see why they would promote a high carb, you know. No, no raw, you know, no good meat. I mean, they promote meat, but they promote horrible quality meat. They don't promote, you know, the meat that's gonna, Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or, or you know, grain fed, just horrible. You know, if you're eating grain fed meat, you're not. It's it's gonna be bad. I mean, you're not getting anything out of that.
3: So.
1: Anyway, yeah, grain, grains. <laughs> Yes, there are animals that we feed grains to. They are not meant to. I mean, d- domestic too. And I can't tell you how many times I've been out walking in the woods around here and uh, I'll see a dead deer with its stomach burst open and this undigested yellow corn from like this, you know, you buy at the feed store just spilled out onto the ground. I think it's what kills them sometimes.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, Absolutely. That's why they have to slaughter, you know, that, well, I mean, that's why they have to slaughter these cows so quickly. I mean, they, they fatten them up super quickly because they can't digest any of this food that they're eating. You know, and then they have to give them all the, you know, the antibiotics and crap because they're so sick because they can't digest this food. And then, you know, once they get finally hit that, you know, the fatness that they desire, they you know, they slaughter them. And then, you know, it's all, it's all... Efficient and, you know, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's really, it's really disgusting.
1: A quick note for anybody who might listen to this. We don't, uh, we're not against all fiber. Fiber has its uses. It's a good, I mean, it's fiber. It's, you're basically eating tiny little bristles like from a brush. It scrubs things out if you're constipated, you know, if you do have blockages, but it's not
0: Oh, sure. Like sure. like
1: Chris said, it's not a nutrient that can be broken down and absorbed.
0: No.
2: No. Right, so. But
0: but I was going to say too, uh, I mean if you're if you're just eating like raw meat for instance, you're not going to have any blockages. That's the point. You're not going to need any fiber. Your body's going to totally assimilate that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean Now you're saying
1: raw meat, not not just fresh and organic, but actual raw meat in your diet?
0: Yeah, raw meat. Yeah. But I mean the the things that people are eating today that they can't digest are the processed foods, these these uh complex carbs, you know. Your your body can't digest, it can't break it down. I mean that's what they your body can't digest. That's what creates all these these blockages. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's got nothing to do with the meat. It's not. It's not meat. Okay. Anyway, we can we can do a whole we can do a whole podcast on on our uh, raw meat caveman diets.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: We'll have to do that sometime. So, let's see. Where were we? Uh, It says, for the serious student, the concept of a... Okay, I think I read that already. Yeah, the concept of a trinity is inconsistent, incoherent, and unfounded in the Old Testament. Origen developed a closed hierarchy of only three elements of the Godhead, a forerunner of Trinitarianism whose sole purpose was to limit the extension of the capacity to be Elohim to three beings and and deny it to the elect and the heavenly host, the Kedosim or Holy Ones, K-E-D-O-S-I-M. No doubt the Elohim must frequently laugh at mortal attempts to conceal the record of their existence, knowing that in the end the truth of their existence and their oneness with Yahweh must eventually come out. Quote, Sabarine, noting Coppin's comment that the noun ketosim designates in the Masoretic text the supra-terrestrial court of Yahuwah, who are held to be Elohim, says of this, quote, the concept of a heavenly assembly is not a purely literary form, but is an element of the living pattern of Israelite faith, end quote. The pattern and usage of the terms for God is of an extended order. There is no doubt that the meaning was understood, whether it was written in Hebrew or Aramaic or Chaldee, So I got to say, too, on this concept of the Elohim as like this heavenly court or heavenly assembly, like a royal court. Um, this was a universal belief in the ancient world as well. They basically believe that the hierarchy in heaven, it was basically like a family. There was like a family in heaven, and this was reflected, you know, on earth. The structure in heaven was reflected in the structure on earth, okay? They believe that, you know, there's... They believe that basically the quote-unquote Godhead in heaven was like a family. It was like an extended family. It was also like a bureaucracy, it was, you know, the, the assembly of the gods, you know, and that's why you see in a lot of, uh, like, the pharaohs, you know, government structure of government, you know, it was all based on extended family as well, and like a royal court, which were all like actual blood members of his family, you know. Mm-hmm. You see, you see this pattern all throughout the ancient world. They mimicked, you know, what how it was in heaven. They mimicked uh, the structure in heaven on earth. Um, because they were operating off of these beliefs about heaven, about the structure in heaven. Um, that's
1: above, so below.
0: Yep. And see, that's a that's a trigger phrase for Christians, you know. Uh huh. Yeah. Obviously, the Illuminati, you know, they attached some artificial negative stigma to that, you know, and gave it the whole guilt by association for Christians to reject it out of hand. But you can you can actually deduce that out of the Bible. You know, it says, uh, let my Father's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, he's basically saying, Christ no, himself know.
1: basically said, as above, so below, right there.
0: And you see it in the New, Old Testament as well. Like, there's a verse, and I believe Judges, where uh, they're fighting Sisera, and, you know, it says the stars uh, fought in their courses against Sisera. You know, when there was a war going on on Earth. Yeah. Yeah, so, again, you have the same thing. It's basically this astrological determinism, which was also like a universal belief in the ancient world. You know, it was fatalistic. They believe that uh, basically everything played out in the heavens first, and then it, it was reflected on Earth. You know, it dictated how things played out on Earth in a deterministic way. Which I would I would believe that. Uh, it says Yahweh is also called Yahweh El alaim translated, quote, the Lord God of Gods. Joshua twenty two, twenty two. Hold on, I have some pop up on my computer. Yeah, okay, I got it. Okay, so <laughs> It says, however, directly translated using all, al, or el, it would become, quote, Yahweh, all Elohim, end quote. Using the traditional translations, it becomes the nonsensical Lord, God, God. <laughs> Lord, God, repeated twice. Many scholars attempt to refer to verb usage to support the concept of the Elohim as a singular individual or single individual. But there is no distinct evidence proving that this originally meant one, two, or three, rather than any number of Elohim speaking and acting in accord, which would involve the same verb usage. In the next few paragraphs, we will examine the understanding that according to Deuteronomy 6.4, the ancients knew Yahweh as one with his council or congregation of Elohim and that they are one in him. So you see how basically the scholars are operating off of this big circle jerk, um, you know, begging the question, arguing in a circle, assuming their point to be proved. So they're they're supporting their belief in that Elohim refers to a single individual based on their belief, their their already assumed belief that the singular verb usage dictates that it's a single single individual. You see that? Yeah. So it's one big circle. (laughs) So, I mean, they never never even established to begin with that that the singular verb usage necessarily dictates that it's a singular individual. They would have to establish that first in order to make that valid, but they never did. They just assumed it. (laughs) And, you know, this author, all my podcasts have provided historical evidence that that's not the case, you no. Know, but that's a fairly recent um, interpretation, you know, that really had no historical precedent until a fairly recent period of time. So, uh, indicating a conspiracy or cover-up. So, the next section is called Oneness in Yehovah Ikad. It says, quote, listen, let Israel... Yahweh Elohim of us. Yahweh is one. End quote. Deuteronomy six four. Oneness is a concept that is difficult for many in organized religions to contemplate, since they are segregationists, with the leaders often living off the contributions of their followers, and frequently promoting their own importance by dominating the understanding of the congregation. Rather than living in oneness, as Jesus taught them to practice, holding all things in common, they collect ties. This practice of giving one-tenth to the Levite servers under Aaron, the priest, was originally because they did the work of blistering animals sacrificed in the tabernacle of the congregation. Leviticus 27:32. 32. Ties will be discussed in depth in a later section. Okay, she's operating off her Levite conspiracy again. We've already addressed our, what we think of that.
2: Right.
0: Um, do they think that there will be rich and poor or masters and servants in heaven or in the kingdom come? okay, well, actually, there will be because it yeah, says i would agree there will be hierarchy in the- in the, the world to come. Jesus explicitly says that you know he says, well, I'm forgetting what the verse says now, but I know there are i don't know
1: I don't know where it is, but i can uh, s- paraphrase it for you he says uh." Yeah. He's talking about how he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then he says that whoever preaches and teaches others yeah, to we'll be, we'll obey be God's least in law... God's in the
0: kingdom of heaven. Right, right.
1: right, right. Exactly. That the one who teaches hierarchy. to obey it, they'll be the greatest. But the one exactly. who teaches them, or, or removes even a jot and a tittle, yeah, they'll be the least. The ones who exactly. say, no, don't obey the law.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And he also says, you know, his apostles, uh, I forget which ones, but they asked him, can I be... At your right hand, or something, you know? Can I be uh, the most in the kingdom of heaven? You remember when they were asking him that?
1: Yeah, it's one of them, and his brother Andrew. <laughs> the guy's yeah, mom man. actually comes and asks Jesus to let them sit on the right and the left of him.
0: Right, and then I forget I forget Jesus' response. But he basically says, you know, that's that's it's not it's a heavy burden to bear, and basically yeah. it's not up to me, but my father. You know, you know, we'll decide that, essentially. I think, if I'm paraphrasing that correctly, I think that's basically the gist of what he said.
1: Yeah, that is correct.
0: Yeah.
1: It's it's not mine to give, something like that.
0: Right. So, yeah, I would disagree with you. So, obviously, this, I mean, being a female scholar, she has some liberal uh, tendencies here that she's that are influencing her work. As as good as most of it is, it's you know, she's got some uh modern day liberal tendencies going on.
1: A minor case of AIDS.
0: <laughs>
1: That's what liberalism is.
0: Yeah. If they do not practice what they preach now, how can they be ready for it when their time comes? Quote. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they held all things in common, End quote. Acts 4.32 and Acts 2.44. This is the philosophy taught to the early Christians rather than the practice of separatism and, quote, tithing taught by the Levites, whose established religious practices were supposed to be changed, Hebrews 7.11-14, through 14, by all who truly believed. Um. So, I mean, I would agree there in, in that verse. In a sense, I mean, it's obviously teaching. I think it's teaching the same thing, really, as the Old Testament that you know those in the body of Christ or in the body of Yahweh is um, basically basically the Old Testament taught kind of a na- uh, national socialism that you had private property, but not in an absolute sense among your your kinsmen your fellow kinsmen, like, uh, you know, it was, it was uh, shared. Members of your the, own tribe. Exactly, yeah. It wasn't an absolute, you know, individual property thing, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, obviously that that carried over into the New Testament. It would have been the same thing. Uh there is in the verses quoted here a great deal of evidence to support the case that the myriad thousands of the Elohim mentioned in Psalm sixty eight acted, worked, and spoke and spoke in unity. Deuteronomy six four declares, quote, Shema Israel, YHWH Eliinu, Yahovah Ikad, end quote. Literally translated, quote, listen Israel, Yahovah Elohim of us, Yahovah is one, end quote. Deuteronomy six four. Uh, this verse alone disputes the concept of a trinity, for Yehovah is oneness with all, not separate and three, for Ikad is Hebrew for the number one, and is used as such many times throughout the Old Testament. The first definition of Strong's Hebrew Dictionary 258 says that it means, more properly, united, which, however, still gives the same concept of oneness. So I would agree with that interpretation of uh, Ikad. I don't I don't think it's, I don't think it means the numeric one in an absolute sense. I think it means basically, uh, it's teaching the same thing, like a singular plurality. You know, mm-hmm. Yahovah's spirit permeates everything. You know, he's one with his body of Elohim. You know, but all the other Elohim proceed from him, so they're all dependent upon him. So he's, that's why all glory is attributed to him, because he's the only one that's um, not dependent. Everything emerges out of him. So he's still, he's still the only one to worship. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yep. This is not uh, polytheism. This is still. Right. Well, you wouldn't call it monotheism. There's more than one God, but there's only the one that, you know, is the ultimate, the most high.
0: Right, right. And that's why he's called the most high. That's why he has that title. That title doesn't even make sense in a monotheistic structure. <laughs> you know? Hmm. Why is he called the most high if there's only one god? I don't get it. Who's yeah. who's he higher than? But,
1: I mean, you you already assume he's higher than the men, but
0: uh, Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> The famous Armstrongian phrase, quote, uniplural, end quote, is an invented grammatical category which confuses and divides. Some Binitarians and Trinitarians propose that the Hebrew word for one, ikad, the numeral one, is really a, quote, compound one, end quote. This may be a clever device to confuse logical thought, or perhaps it demonstrates the confusion of the speaker himself. Yikad occurs some 960 times in the Hebrew Bible, and it is the numeral one. Used as a numeral adjective, it can modify a noun, quote, one day, one person, etc., but it still always indicates one. Quote, Yahuwah, he is becoming, U-E-I-E-I-E-V-E, king over all the earth. In that day, Yahuwah, he shall become one. Akkad, Ecod, and his name won, end quote, Zechariah 14.9. That's a really profound verse. You know, that indicates that there's going to be a, well, that kind of indicates that there's going to be a universal reconciliation. Uh, you know, the ultimate restoration of all things. The whole world is going to follow Yahweh, and you know, Yahuwah in the future. His, his kingdom, he's going to reign over everyone. All the nations. Uh, Hagar saw the angel of Yahweh and referred to him interchangeably as Al Roy, which means to see. Strong Hebrew Dictionary 7200 and 7210, the all-seeing. And Yahuwah, quote, the one speaking to her, implying that Yahweh is a multiplicity yet present in one of his angels. Or it might also imply that the angel was Yahweh, just Yahweh in two places at once. By location.
3: Right? That'd be fun to
1: do. Fun to be able to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We definitely believe it's possible, don't we? Yeah.
1: Well, for him, I can't do it for sure. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Definitely.
0: Not 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 voluntarily at least. Maybe you've done it on accident, who knows? Yeah, right. maybe you done
1: you did it on accident a few nights ago when you were talking <laughs> outside your
0: yeah, physical maybe body. Yeah, I think I was astral projecting for sure. I was in the astral realm. So it says uh all right or this could even be a lower form of Yahoo. Either one. Uh, Genesis twenty-two one through twelve, and when an angel appears to Samson's parents, they refer to him as Elohim. Judges thirteen nineteen through twenty-two, showing that an Elohim is a high-raised angel. Yet Yahovah is present in all his Elohim. Thus, quote: Yahovah is one in the Elohim. End quote. I would agree because His Spirit obviously proceeds and pervades all of the Elohim. You know, they're His body. Basically, we're all his body. If you want to get real technical, yeah, Uh, you know, which is that's basically emanationism. The material realm is an outgrowth of himself. It's an extension, but it's um, it's not the same substance. It's it's it became a different substance when it emanated. You could also use the analogy of a you know a sunbeam emerging from the sun you know it the sunbeam there's a point when as it proceeds from the sun where it it changes it's not the sun anymore you know it's something different i mean it like it merges or it takes on the properties of its environment you know exactly it becomes something else it's kind of the same thing so the use oh hold on so the scribes made many changes to the Torah, i agree with that, Cainite scribes, at least some of which they recorded, even after the time of the recovery of a copy of the Law by Hilkiah and the Levites, which they brought to King Josiah. Ezra later interpreted this copy to the, to the Israelites when they came out of exile in Babylon. Their other efforts to put their own spin on the original story may be seen by examining the liberties taken with interpretations of the Hebrew words discussed throughout this book. The use of the term Elohim occurs 3,350 times in the Bible. There is nothing about Yahweh having a council or congregation of Elohim that does not allow for an acceptance of monotheism with this council working in oneness under Yahweh. So I'd agree with that. The movement to assert their definition of monotheism that caused the scribes to change the references to Yahweh Elohim to Adonai Elohim also meant they had to rewrite many verses to suit their limited interpretation of monotheism, and their own records in the Masoret provide a record of it. Quote, Jewish religious authorities concerned that the growing worship of angels would be a threat to the belief in one God excised works like those of the books of Enoch and the book of Jubilees from canonical literature. These books are now part of what is known as the Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha, end quote. That's from an article called The Sons of God. And uh, there's also evidence that uh, these Jews, these later Jews, like these Talmudic um, Jews and uh, Rabbinic Jews did this as well in response to uh, Christians uh, in the first century who were operating off of this long historical tradition that of uh, you know this binitarian structure that basically uh, Jesus was uh, Yahweh in the flesh, or he was this lower Yahweh figure. And, uh, they obviously responded to that negatively, and they, um, they actually, uh, coined a a heresy for that. They called it the, the Two Powers Heresy, you know, and there was all kinds of, um, you know, infighting about that as well, or reactions to that, um, this unfortunately excluded the understanding that Yahweh's Elohim were not false gods. Heaven only knows how many writings or passages may have been lost altogether. But thankfully, the scribes were not successful in completely eradicating all traces of Yahweh's Council of Elohim. Quote, For both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all one. End quote. Hebrews two eleven. Enos, Pontes, they are of one, or Ek heis pas, out of one all. Jews and Christians have long disputed over the interpretation of, quote, Jehovah Elohim, Yahweh Echad, end quote, Deuteronomy 6, four, with Jews presenting the understanding that Echad indicates one, and Christians pointing to the plurality of the word Elohim to say it included Jesus. There you go. Obviously the Jews didn't like that, but later rabbinical Jews, these false Jews... Now with the understanding of who the Elohim are, it can finally be clear how Yahovah, a singular term, can declare himself to be the Elohim, a plural term, and then it can be seen that they are both correct, as Yahovah is one with all. It is this verse known as the schema or the shema. The shema, however you pronounce shema, it? Yeah,
1: shema, that's how it. Shema, the Taj.
0: Shema, yeah to which Jesus refers when asked which commandment was the greatest in Mark twelve twenty eight through twenty nine, which, written as it was originally and as he would have read it in Hebrew, said, quote, Hear, O Israel, Yehovah Elohim is one, end quote, rather than Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one God, which makes little sense. It remains, however, for most earthlings to make themselves one with Yahweh and subject to his will as Jesus did. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty eight and therefore become one with Yahovah and his Elohim, who have always watched over us. I would agree with her on that. Got any comments or thoughts? Yeah, I had a thought. Uh,
1: I meant to mention this in the beginning, but I was going to wait to see if they mentioned the Book of Enoch. In The, the Book of Enoch is very strong evidence for angelification. Oh, Enoch sure. becomes, what is it, an angel?
0: Metatron, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's even given that new name, Metatron. Yep. Meta- Metatron, however you say it.
0: hmm Divinization, yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, well, I actually think that, well, you see typology, quote-unquote typology, with uh, Enoch, basically, I mean, he basically functions as like the Christ figure in... in the Book of Enoch, I mean, he's called the Son of Man, and he functions as the mediator for the the fallen, you know, watchers. You know? Yeah. See that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... A case could be made, a possible reincarnation, that maybe he is, uh, you know, was Christ in a previous incarnation, and that, you know, he... When he ascended, he became his his God form again. You know, his heavenly, his he took on his heavenly body, or he became one with his heavenly body again. Not that I'm going to, you know, push that or anything, but I'm just going to throw, you know, I'm just going to float it out there as a, as a possibility.
1: It's true that, uh, I think, uh, Christ himself and elsewhere in the New Testament, the book of Enoch is quoted. So, oh yeah. Before anybody throws yep. it out as <laughs> heretical apocrypha,
0: yeah, there's a whole if passage. Was, if it was good enough
1: for Christ and the disciples to quote from and take seriously, yep. I mean that lends legitimacy to it.
0: Yep. Yeah, there's a whole passage in Jude where it's directly quoted and elsewhere too. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I mean, it also indicates what the people believed at the time. You know, and it indicates this long, basically indicates their traditions, you know, what they historically believed, you know. So, and it was obviously, you know, that kind of, uh, I mean, it it contained within it that same kind of two, that binatarian, you know, two powers in heaven thing that carried over, you know, into the New Testament, and that's why, these Christians obviously interpreted Jesus as the fulfillment of, of the Old Testament and all these traditions because they they understood him as the basically Yahweh in a lower form. The lower Yahweh, you know. Um, because they understood this this two powers in heaven. They had this binatarian understanding that was very ancient and had a very long uh, historical precedent. Um, uh, that's that runs through all this uh, extra-biblical, extra-canonical literature. Okay. And you see that in uh, Daniel, too, the one sitting on the throne, and then the Son of Man before him. There's that two powers thing. Right? Correct. Okay. Yes,
1: <laughs> sir. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, am, am I not commenting enough? On
0: No, i just making sure we're on the same page with all that. Okay, so uh, the next section is called Yahovah, Yahovah, Jehovah, Jehovah, the Creator. Quote, And Yahovah, He is becoming U-E-I-E-I-E-V-E king over all the earth. On that day, Yahovah will become one and His name one. God, end quote, Zechariah 14.9. So we heard that verse. She says, uh, Jehovah is the Jewish national name for God, often combined with the names of subordinate beings that Strong states to be derived from Haya. Strong's Hebrew Dictionary, 19, 1961. Yahovi or Yahovih, Y-A-H-O-V-I-H, or Jehovah, is Yahovah of hosts. This distinction is preserved in the terms Jehovah, Strong's Hebrew Dictionary 3068, and Jehovah with an I instead of an A, Strong's Hebrew Dictionary 3069. Jehovi, or Yahovi, is always rendered Elohim when spoken, and Jehovah or Yahovah, is always rendered as Adonai. Apparently, since the Adonaiim, or Lords, is a title of lesser distinction, one below the, dis- the distinction of Elohim or gods. In this way, the Jews, after the time of the Sopharim, sought to protect the transcendent monotheism of Yahovi, Yahovah of the hosts, above all, above of all the Elohim. Quote, the BDB lexicon states that the Hebrew spelling Yehovi occurs 305 times in the Masoretic text, end quote. From the tetragrammaton in the Bible definition quote those who want to revocalize Jehovah into YIH, y i h w e h or Yahweh should also change the names Joseph into yosef, Judah into Yehodeh, etc, therefore, as the famous gr- grammarian w Jezenius acknowledged, according to the the theophoric names, that the name of God could be easily vocalized, Yahuwah, I-E-H-O-U-A-H, end quote. So she seems to be advocating, actually, the name Jehovah. Uh, Do the etymologies found in the Bible allow us to find a primeval, primeval vocalization? Uh, The substitution of the names Adonai Elohim is traditionally understood to have been so as to prevent speaking the sacred name Yahweh, arising from a misunderstanding of the commandment to not take his name in vain or curse Yahweh, as in Leviticus 24.11. Rather, this was an injunction to prevent it becoming a frivolous epithet, like crying out Yahoo or Haya, etc., when excited or cursing his name. It was not meant... To prevent the use of his name altogether, in this way his name is only called out in seriousness, alerting his council of Elohim to give attention to a serious matter. Quote, I Yahovah Elohim of you, you shall have no other Elohim before me. Not you shall take up the name of Yahovah, I E V E Elohim of you for futility. Ishua in the King James version in vain. End quote. Exodus 23 and 7. The instances of the alterations of Yahweh to Adonai by the Sophrim, the scribes, in 134 places, are at Appendix 32 of the Companion Bible. Yahweh is translated as LORD, all caps, in the, in the New International Version and most other English Bibles, using all capital letters, and as ADONAI in the Complete Jewish Bible. The instances where the title ADONAI occurred was translated as LORD. However, Adonai cannot be considered synonymous with Yahweh, and this is shown by the fact that there can be multiple Adonai, or Adonim, Ye Adnim, or Lords. Psalm 136.3, Isaiah 26.13, 1 Corinthians 8.5, Timothy 6.15, etc. Quote, Yahweh to Lord of me, I Adni sit to right hand of me, until I shall set your enemies as a stool for your feet. End quote. Psalm 110.1. Now the fact that Yahweh Ye- speaks to this Adonai as his lord, asking him to sit at his right hand, shows that Yahweh and Adonai are not one and the same being. The fact that there are multiple lords, as in, quote, my lord of the lords, Yadni, Yadnim, Psalm 136.3, shows that this is one of his heavenly hosts, ranked below Yahovah, for Iadni is, quote, Lord of me, end quote, or, quote, my Lord, end quote. In the second case, quote, my Lord of lords, end quote. This psalm gives us the descending ranks below Yahovah, for it begins by giving thanks to Yahovah, then to his God of gods, I-Alai, and then his lord of lords, Yadni, Iadne, quote, I speak of things which I have made touching on the king. You love righteousness and hate wickedness, and so he anointed you Elohim, Elohim of you, anointing oil of elation from partners of you, end quote. Psalm 45, 1 and 6 through 7. Or Elohim, Alaik, God of gods. Note that this king, or Elohim, was chosen from amongst other Elohim who were like himself. It follows that they are all humanoid, since humans were made in the image of the Elohim, and these Elohim have appeared in human form to mortals throughout the Bible. So that's a very important point right there that she just disclosed. And that's something we can deduce from the Bible as well, that uh the angels or the Elohim all throughout the Bible are described as men or heavenly men. You know that their their form is of a of of, of a of a man, a humanoid. Mm-hmm. And uh basically, you know, the, the verse in, in Genesis 1:26 through 27 where it says, you know, um the Elohim created us in their image, you know, male and female, they created them. You know, it was plural, the Elohim. I think that that, uh, I would interpret that to mean, or that was the passage where I think that we were divided, or I, I actually, <laughs> so we're going to get into some real uh, controversial interpretation here with that, but I think that that was referring to the creation of the pre-Adamic races. I believe that they were divided from their higher selves there. Uh, and they were, that's why the, with them, the male and female was created at the same time or emanated out from their higher selves or divided from their higher selves at the same time. And that's why it says, you know, they were made in their image. See that? Mm-hmm. And, you true. know, the Adamic race was made later on the eighth day, I believe, uh, and was made in Yahweh's image.
1: Would you agree with that? Yeah. Okay, yeah. And then Eve emanated out of Adam? Right. With the rib thing?
0: Yep. And she would have been in the image of, well, who emanated out of Yahu- Yahuwah? Well, we see it. We read in Proverbs who that was. That was uh, Wisdom. Lady wisdom. wisdom, yeah. Yep, Lady Wisdom. She would have been a higher Eve. And I mean, and that actually uses emanationist language uh, in Proverbs 8 that says that she was brought forth, you know, before everything else, before all, all his other works. Um, so, yeah. Quote. So we, we so we would actually believe that Yahweh is actually a higher Adam or heavenly Adam. I mean that or would that be Adam, really
1: Or that Adam was an avatar, a yeah. incarnation of Yahweh.
0: Sure, right. Right. And that would you know, that would Christians would freak out at that.
1: <laughs> well, well I freaked out when you first taught me, but I just kept listening and kept looking at the evidence. Biblical and logically yeah, I mean, presented, well, and you got to ad- eventually admit there's something there, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you see the same typology with Christ in the New Testament. He's, I mean, he's basically he's called Adam. Okay, he's called the second Adam. I mean, if you mm-hmm. want to, if you want to make that figurative, you can go ahead and do that. But you know, we're going to do dues from that. We're going to we're going to be consistent. And we're going to interpret that literally. Okay, he he was this he was the, the he was another adam okay you know it also says in luke uh luke 331 i believe that you know adam was the son of god and it uses the, the definite article so um and you also see in revelation that uh you know christ uses language of himself or he 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 equates himself with with Yahweh, okay? He says, you know, I am the first and the last. You know, he uses the exact he says the exact same exclusive statements that Yahuwah said of himself in the old testament. He's described with the exact same language. He's the one administering judgment, you know, on the day of judgment. Um, I mean, it's just the evidence is just abound, you know. And so, I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> <laughs> I kind of <laughs> lost. I kind of lost where I was going with that. Basically, uh, you know, Adam. Talking was about a, lady, lady wisdom. Oh, okay, so so Yahweh was was a heavenly man, and you know, Jesus and Adam were his earthly counterparts, they were his, the earthly men, the earthly counterparts, in his image. Right. That's where I was going with that. That was the point. Because you see all these other verses all throughout the Bible that Yahweh was a heavenly man. He actually had a form. It actually explicitly says that, that he had a form. It says Moses saw his form. Okay. I believe that verse is in Deuteronomy. Let will look real quick.
1: Yeah, where he hit him in the cleft of the rock and showed him only the back of him?
0: No, it, well, yeah, that, but, I mean, there's a That's verse far. that explicitly says that Moses saw his form.
3: Uh Thought it would just come right up when I googled it, but it didn't.
0: You have anything to say while I'm looking for this?
1: Yeah, well, uh, you mentioned the, the double, or the parallel creation stories in Genesis, one as being, as applying to the pre-Adamite
0: men. Sure.
1: And you say that the male and female were both immediate emanations from God. Do you think that the strongly patriarchal male headship principle that we see all through the Bible is something only for the Adamite race? Then?
0: Uh, well, no, because I believe that. Uh. Oh, hold on. I literally just found it. It's in numbers. That's why. All right, go ahead. Numbers twelve eight. It says. Uh. Yeah. It says. Uh. When I speak mouth to mouth, this is when Yahweh is rebuking. Um. Miriam and. I think Aaron for for uh, trying to, uh, re, you know, accuse Moses of unrighteousness for uh, marrying the Ethiopian woman. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, Miriam and Aaron, yep. Okay. And the verse says, get back to here. So it's Numbers 12a. It says, With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of Yahuwah, or of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So, I mean, that's explicit right there. He's saying that he has a form. And his form, what was his form? Well, his form was humanoid. It was a man. It was a man's form. Okay?
1: Tell me the exact verse there.
0: That's Numbers
3: 12.8. And,
0: uh, you know, I think the reason a lot of Christians or people would have problems with that, rightly so, is because it would conflict with a lot of verses in the New Testament. Uh, Would you agree with that? Yep. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of verses in the New Testament that say, you know, basically that say that God, the, the Father doesn't have a form. Uh, basically says, no one's ever seen him. If you see him, he'll die. He's invisible and he dwells in unapproachable light. And basically says he has, it's basically like, it's literally like, it's using like platonic language. You know, it's, it's basically, it's talking about the monad, you know. <laughs> I mean... Pretty much, you know, you can't draw a false dichotomy between, you know, Platonism and, you know, they think there's a middle position that reconciles them both, because I think that it teaches both. There's a solution, you know, that there's a synthesis between them both, you know, the dialectic. And I think that uh, I have, I think that I have a solution for that. Uh, you know, Ross knows about it, but we're not going to get into that now, at least. Um, So what were you saying on the... What was your question again?
1: Well, it's going to take us off into anthropology, so are you done with uh, that point?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I'm done with that point.
1: Well, you mentioned the parallel creation myths, or I should call them myths, stories in Genesis. Mm -hmm. And you you say that, and I agree with you, that one of them is talking about the pre-Adamite races,
0: yeah, the six-day creation. Mhm. Yep. Uh, you
1: said it says there that uh, both the male and the female of that uh, creation, that race, yeah, was an immediate emanation from God. Yep. Instead of indirectly, the female being from the male, the male being from God. Yep. And so I'm wondering if you also think that patriarchy, male headship, which is you know, a principle you see all throughout the Bible, um, if that is something only for the Adamite race? Hmm.
0: Good question. I don't know if I've ever really thought about that. I would say that I think that it's kind of just like the, how I would uh, explain the fall, because people would ask, well, if all the races weren't all descended from Adam, then are all races subject to the fall, you know, the Genesis curse? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, they are, and how I'd explain that is, even though they aren't all descended from him literally in a bloodline sense, he was still the representative of all all the races. He was the he was the federal head because he was supposed to he was he was supposed to rule over everyone, you know. It actually says that he was supposed to have dominion over everything that moves on the earth. Okay. So he represented everyone. He basically represented the whole creation. You know, he was the the federal head of all of it. So I think that his cure, his curse, or when he sinned, it was still imputed. You know, it was imputed to everyone, even though everyone everyone uh, wasn't physically descended from him. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I I mean I would maybe say something similar with that, or I think that uh, maybe it wasn't like that before the fall with the other races, but I think after the fall, it was, you know, because that hierarchy was uh, imposed. That that came as a consequence of the fall. Um, But, yeah, I've never really thought about that because it seems to indicate that... uh, but I still think, in terms of the order of emanations, I still think that the male emanations are superior to the females. I don't think that they're they're co-equal. Um, I think that the the male is superior to the female. That the female is an inferior manifestation. It's an inferior emanation. They're not they're not absolutely uh, you know equal. They complement each other. And they complete each other, but they're not absolutely co-equal, like in an ontological sense. Um, the male is superior. And, uh, you know, you, I mean, you see that reflected in, you know, Adam as well. You know, Eve emanated out of Adam, but, you know, she was, you know, she was made for Adam, not the other way around you know, she was supposed to, um, serve Adam, you know, she was made for Adam. You know, not, not yeah. Adam for, you see what I mean?
1: The woman was created for the man.
0: Right. The or the order of the emanations, you know, the hierarchy was still there, you know. Right. I think it was, you know, it's, it's, it was present in terms of how everything emanated, you know, the mat, the male preceded the female, just like the father, you know. Okay, so we're going to get into another controversial subject, so, <laughs> we think here. that there we think that there's a, a mother or a you know, a female aspect you could say of the father. And I would say that that, you know, the mother emanated you know, the father preceded the mother and the father or the mother emanated out of the father. You know. But the, the father was first in terms of all the emanations. He's he's supreme, you know, he's the most superior everything emanated out of him. You know, he came first in terms of precedence. So.
1: Now, one minute. Are we still operating off the idea that Yahweh is the eldest son of the yeah. council? Of,
2: and, and there's yep. the
1: most high God, the father above him? Yeah. You know, yep. Yep. El, El El Yom, they call him?
0: Yep. And are, we're, yeah. talking
1: about, we're talking about the most high having a female counterpart, right?
0: No. Yeah, well, well, yeah, and I don't, I don't even think she's really a, a distinct being. I think they're just a composite being, but she's an inferior manifestation of the father. But I don't think she actually emanates out of him as a distinct being. I think they're just one composite being. It's basically like I hate to use the word androgynous, but I'm sorry, but like that's basically you find that in basically all these universal traditions in the ancient world, they believed that the supreme being was both male and female. I hate to say that, but I mean, that's, that's you find that in all these traditions, you know. I'm sorry, but...
1: Well, it's not too hard to... You take uh, Genesis 1, one twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight. 27, 28, one of those, you know.
0: No, I know. Uh, he created no, know. them,
1: male and female. That was how he created them in, in his own image. So right, male and female are part of the image of God, that means that there is right. female in gun.
0: but that doesn't mean they're co-equal, though. You know that's right. where people get confused.
1: You know? There's a hierarchy,
0: but they are. You know, they're two sides. You know of him, two sides of one coin. One, you know, two aspects. Uh, they're com- they they complement each other. But uh, what was I gonna? Do? What were you asking again? You're talking about what was your question?
1: Um, you mean that I already asked just a minute ago?
0: Yeah.
1: About well, that, the I was, I was
0: answering you on something.
1: The pre-Adamites and uh, whether patriarchy is only for Adamites.
0: Oh, the one after that. You're talking about Yahweh being the eldest son, right? Oh yeah. I just... Okay, so so yeah, we so we believe that yeah, Yahweh is you know the heavenly Adam. He he's a higher son. He's a heavenly son, you know. He's the, yeah, he's the eldest Elohim. He, he's the Word, you know, the Logos, the Word of Yahweh. Well, here's, here's where it gets confusing. I think that the Father and the Son both share the same name, and that's why it gets confused, because the Son is the representative of the Father. He's the image of the Father, okay? Because I don't think the Father has an image. He doesn't have a form. His form is the Son. That is his form. Okay.
2: I see.
0: So, well, well, actually, I don't know if I want to say that cuz you still have a revelation where you have one on the throne and then you have uh you have a heavenly son there as well. You know, who's before the throne. So I think that the fa- there can be a lower father where the father can basically manifest in, in the creation and like a localized like a localized manifestation, you know, in one place. Mm-hmm. But I think he just kind of sits on his throne. He doesn't really do anything. He doesn't move around or anything. That's that's all the son does. All that he just kind of sits on his throne. So um, I think that you, yeah, you have a so you can have a lower father and a heavenly son. Um, but you still, but the Father is still kind of above and beyond creation, you know, at the same time, you can have both. But he also manifests within creation in, like, a localized place, on a throne, you know. You see what yeah. I'm saying?
2: Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm following you because I've, uh, read through all your stuff.
0: That's why you have, you know, like in Deuteronomy, you, you know, you have El or Elion, who's on the throne distributing all the nations, you know, as an inheritance to all his sons, you know, the gods. And, you know, he gives Israel to uh, Yahuwah, or the son, his eldest, you know, the, the primary son.
1: That's why he calls it Israel, my inheritance, my portion, many times. Yeah,
3: yep. So, yes, so, back
0: to, let's see, okay, so it says, the same logic used in the question of the term, oh, okay, so, so the last thing we read was note that this king or Elohim was chosen from amongst other Elohim who were like himself. It follows that they are all humanoids, since humans were made in the image of the Elohim, and those, these Elohim have appeared in human form to mortals throughout the Bible. So it says, quote, Yahweh of your Elohim, He God, Eloi of the gods, E Elohim. Remember, E means the Lord of the Lords, the All, the Great. End quote. Deuteronomy 10:17. The same logic used in the question of the term Adonai can also be applied to the question of the applicability of the title Elo, Eloi or Eloi or Eloah or any other singular spelling variation to refer to Yahovah. Eloi or Eloi or Eloah, etc. It is not always used as precisely synonymous with the infinite pre-existent one, Yahovah, who is all. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-eight. See, that's why I think you have confusion there because that would obviously refer to the Father. See, but the Father and the Son, they share the same name sometimes. Mm-hmm. You see that? But we would, just for clarification, we would term the Father Elyon or, you know, L-Elyon just to make the distinction so, you know, people don't get confused. But I think that they do they share the same name as well. That's why in some verses, I think, where it's talking about Yahweh, they apply to the Father, and some apply to the Son. That's why you kind of have that blending between them, because the Son, you know, is his image. You know, he's his representation. It's, again, the two powers thing. There's two powers in heaven, you know. Um, right. he He bears his name. That's why he's called... That's why, actually, in the Old Testament, he's called the name of Yahweh or the word of Yahweh. You know, you see the same typology. There's actually verses in the the Old Testament that talk about the name of Yahweh, but describe him as actually being a like a being, like a person. You know, it's not just like a figure of speech. Um, so that's who I think he's talking about. Uh, so it says, uh. It is not always used as precisely synonymous with the infinite pre-existent One, Yahweh, who is all. First Corinthians fifteen twenty-eight. Since Elohim anointed one of their partners as Elae over themselves, a council or congregation of Elohim. So I would I would say that that would be the Son, you know, the, the primary Son, the Christ. The distinction between Yahovah and Eloi can also be shown by the fact that there can be multiple Eloi or Eloe, that is Elohim. In both cases, Eloi and Adonai, recall that the eem ending plurali, plurali, pluralizes, and there can be only one pre existent all one. Therefore Yahovih or Jehovah is the supreme pre existent one who no one sees, especially in human form. Exodus thirty three twenty. John 1.18 and 5.37, and who is all in all except those who reject oneness, the great Holy Spirit of all. So while Yahweh reigns over the Elohim and is one with them, the name Yahovah is sometimes but not always used as synonymous with Eloi or El, who can also be the chief, having a human-like appearance, God of the council of Elohim, the God over the council of Elohim, or the God of gods, Elohim, Elohim. Elohim, Elohim. So that, I would say, could be either the, you know, the heavenly son, who's a heavenly man, you know, has a heavenly body, a heavenly form, or the father, you know, like a lower father, you know, or the father manifests in creation in heaven, you know, in a localized form, or, in a you know, in one spatial location, like on a throne. See that? But he, he would at the same time he'd also be above and beyond, you know, and outside of the creation. He would he would also at the same time remain in this uh, superior realm, where he would remain bodiless and formless and invisible and, and you know in a in unapproachable light, etc. You can reconcile those passages. Quote. Al Elohim is Yahweh. Al Elohim is Yahweh. End quote. Joshua 22:22. 22, 22. That is, quote, all of the Elohim is Yahweh. End quote. Thus, Al of Elohim means head of a plurality. Yahweh, who is all in all, his Elohim. 1 Corinthians 15:28. It is Al or L. Remember, the spellings are synonymous. Yahweh is therefore the only omnipresent being who can be one with, quote, all of the Elohim, end quote. Yahovah ranks above and is worshipped by Eloi, the Elohim, and any of their Adonim or lords. All of the Elohim and Adonim are known to descend in human form, Genesis 19:2, to earth to carry out the will of Yahovah's council of Elohim among mortals. The name Yahovah or Jehovah was used to refer to the Elohim of Israel, a lesser application than Yahovi with an I, the supreme light of the Holy Spirit to all the Elohim of the cosmos. However, both of these words can be translated from YHVH or IEVE. So yeah, that was the end of that section.
1: Now that's interesting, there, regarding Yehovah regarding
0: Yeah, I know. There, apparently Yehovah there's two forms. Legitimate. Yeah, apparently there's two forms used. Of the divine name. Remember she was talking about that earlier? It's
2: mm-hmm.
0: well, pretty interesting. I'm... There's a... She says Yahovi with an I, or Je- Jehovah is Yahovah of hosts. Uh, this distinction is preserved in the terms Jehovah with an A, Strong Hebrew Dictionary 3068, and Jehovah with an I, Strong Hebrew Dictionary 3069. Jehovah or Yahovi, is always rendered Elohim when spoken, and Jehovah, or Yahovah, is always rendered as Adonai. So yeah, that was pretty interesting. Uh, well,
1: I, I think it's interesting because I had heard, I had read, that, that the pronunciation Yehovah, or Yahovah, was a corruption where they took the vowel points... No,
0: from, I know. ...and put it into that,
1: that consonant frame. And then yeah. I heard that Yehovi, they had taken the vowel points from Elohim and put it into those four consonants, you know, the Tetragrammaton.
0: Well, maybe she's saying that those actually derive from two variants, you know?
1: Interesting.
0: See, maybe that's why that explains why there were two you know, uh, verb forms inserted because there was two variants of the name used. Yeah. yeah, that is interesting. <laughs> I mean, she seems to have no problem using Jehovah, though, so she seems to think it's, a, I guess, a acceptable name.
1: Does she um, give any... Any commentary on the pronunciation Yahweh or Yahweh? Which
0: is yeah, she what said I said here, here. She said here uh the B D B Lexicon states that the Hebrew spelling Yehovi with an I occurs three hundred and five times in the Masoretic text. And she says, quote, those who want to revocalize Jehovah into Yewe or Yahweh should also change the names Joseph into Yosef. Judah into Yehode, etc. Therefore, as the famous grammarian W. Gesenius acknowledged, according to the theophoric names, that the name of God could be easily vocalized, Yahua or I E H O U A H, etc. So I guess in our modern English that would be Jehovah, because you know, I think that was the old English form there you know, before the J. Or it was just the I.
1: I don't have a problem with J versus I. That's just a pronunciation variant, isn't it?
0: Well, yeah, but I think that's what she's basically what she's pointing out. You know, that Jehovah, I guess, is a uh, consistent. Uh, I guess a consistent progression of the name. You know, just into English there.
3: I don't know. I mean, the
1: tangled web of
3: what it is, Yeah. <laughs>
1: and is this the real name, or is this a cover-up? Or are they saying it's a cover-up and it is a real name?
0: <laughs> well, it's, you know, I I mean, if it is the real name, there's no way we could, we could know without Rebel FC. I think I think that. Well, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say our, my stance. I I don't think we I don't think we well I don't I know we don't know the name. You know. We don't know the correct pronunciation. I think we probably we probably have it though because there's only there's only so many variants you can there's only so many verb variants you can have with four consonants. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think we probably have the true name. It's just which one is it and how do you pronounce it? We don't know the we don't know those we don't know either of those. So not with any certainty mm-hmm. or authority, you know.
1: It's been taken away from us. Mm-hmm.
0: That's again, kind of we again we probably still have it. It's just the understanding has been lost. You know, the knowledge is is gone. Not authoritative anymore. Just a bunch of opinion, you know, this opinion versus that opinion. I
1: and mean, what a what a punishment that is to not even have the name of the God you worship, you know?
0: I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. That's another thing, like, with Christians, like, with their view of the law, like, I mean, they actually think that not having to do the law is, like, a blessing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they're,
1: they're trained from childhood to hate it.
0: Yeah, they think See, it's, it's a blessing. The Bible, mean. the Bible describes it as a punishment and like a curse. You know, like it's a curse. Like the law was a blessing. You know, like when 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 Yahweh took his law away, like that was a punishment. That was like that was a negative thing. That was a curse. You know, I mean, it's just ridiculous. You know what, Chris? Can you hear me?
1: Yeah. We need to do a, uh, a red pill, a red pilling on the, uh, Torah.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: For all the, for all the mainstream Christians who might happen to come across this.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Because
1: until you do that, they blank out. They don't listen. They, yep. they, like, like their eyes glaze over and their ears get blocked out as soon as you mention the law as a good thing. Or suggest that we should follow some parts of it still. Yep. They're completely programmed to reject it and fear you. Yeah. And look at you like, oh, we should pray for him, but avoid him. Because he's on his way to hell right now, (laughs) you know? Yep, yep. It's it's crazy.
0: It comes from all these doctrines that they've inherited, you know, like Arminianism, you know, Pelagianism, the whole free will... Thing. you know, that's obviously opposed to the law, which is all hierarchical, patriarchal, deterministic. Um, you know, the...
1: Constant, I mean, that's the basic definition of Constantinian Christianity, right? They reject the old calendar. They reject a lot of the, yeah. uh, the meat distinctions and, and other laws.
0: Judaizing, yeah, that made-up heresy that they made up. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I mean, the word... I think the word Judaizers is in the Bible once in the New Testament, but the definition oh, no. oh, the Catholic not. Church has,
0: no? Uh-uh, uh uh-uh. Judaizers is <laughs> not. No, Judaizer isn't.
1: uh huh. See, yeah, I thought it was in there once, and they just redefined it to mean anybody who kept the the Torah, that you know, the parts that could be still kept after the temple was destroyed.
0: I'm positive, duty. but you're
1: saying it completely concocted the word and put oh, yeah. it into the Bible.
0: No, I don't even think it was. I don't even think it's. I, I'm positive it's not even in there. It's not. Okay. It's not in the New Testament at all.
1: Maybe I was looking at a a bad version.
0: Yeah. No, it's not. It, yeah, it's completely artificial. It
3: emerged with the Catholic Church. Yeah, we oh, definitely hold need to on. do an episode. I'm looking. Oh, I'm looking ahead. it up here. Uh.
0: Says uh, the Greek verb, iudizo to Judaize, appears only once in the Septuagint, Esther 8.17, and once in the New Testament, Galatians 2.14. There we go. On. In the Septuagint, this verb is used in relation to the Gentiles in Persia who adopted Jewish practices in order to avoid the consequences of Esther Esther's decree, Esther 8.13, which permitted Jews to avenge the wrongs committed against them. The Septuagint not only uses Ayudaizo to translate the Hebrew, Mit Yahadim, quote, to become a Jew, but adds that these Gentiles were circumcised. Hmm. I mean, obviously they're still using it in a false context, though, because uh, the New Testament... <clears throat> it did make a distinction between two kinds of, quote, Jews, even though that word is a total to an artificial. And actually a, a pretty recent word that actually wasn't even invented until the 18th century, um, in like 1775. But... <laughs> that's a whole other thing. You know, there were well, two kinds of, there were two kinds of, quote-unquote, Jews, you know, in the New Testament. There were um, you know the ones that practiced the Torah, or that still had the Torah and practiced it, and there were ones that uh, didn't. You know, um, and those were what became known as the quote-unquote Gentiles, but they weren't—they weren't non-Jews. You know what I mean? They were—they were Hebrews. They just were Hebrews in the diaspora that had been dispersed amongst the nations. You know, like when. uh, After the Assyrian, you know, invasion, they got dispersed throughout all the nations, and then they forgot their identity, they forgot who they were, and they they lost the law, and those those were, you know, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Those were the quote-unquote Gentiles, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: The lost tribes, the northern ones?
0: Right, the ten lost tribes, yeah, and those were the ones that, you know, weren't required to keep the law because... You know, the law took extremely long time to learn for one, so it was actually kinda of burdens burdensome to relearn and all that and um
3: uh, Yeah. Oh yeah, we definitely gotta have an episode
0: about uh but but I mean the law. There's all yeah. There's also. I mean, the New Testament doesn't condemn the law in any sense. I mean, it actually says that. I mean, it's a superior way of life. You know, the Jews who do practice it are superior in every way. Much. You know, they have, they have an advantage much in every way, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so.
3: Uh, even Paul himself
1: kept it. Yeah, you know, the Christian, the people who I talked to who immediately reject the idea of keeping some of the old laws, they're the ones who never really looked at it for themselves. If you, if you start to dig for it? Oh, I know. You know for the uh, list of things that supposedly, you know, supposed new covenanters are supposed to keep. Yeah. I mean, even Paul kept uh, the calendar. And more than oh, just yeah. the Sabbath, he kept some of those high holy days. He kept that uh, – Oh yeah. there was one time where he was He's... under a vow, according to yep. number six, and yep. he had to go to the temple. And, you know, part yep. of keeping a vow was if you, if you messed up before the – you know, like if it was a, a certain length of time you vowed to do something or to avoid something, you were to let your hair grow. You were not to cut it, and yep. you were not to drink wine or anything from a grape right any or, or anything fermented
0: just like right. Samson
1: that's what his vow was he was under that vow
0: yeah, the the nazirite vow
1: mhm yep yeah nazirite yeah and uh so what paul did is once he got to jerusalem he he not only went okay so what number 6 says to do is you cut off your hair and you offer a sacrifice and you burn the hair with it sorry one minute Still there?
0: Yeah, I'm here. Alright.
1: And uh not only did he do that, Paul did that, but he paid for four other guys to do it as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and he sacrificed in the temple as well.
3: Anyway, that'll be that'll be another episode. Shall we uh cut it here?
1: Did you wanna was there
0: Well hold on, I had one more thing to say.
1: Okay. Go ahead.
0: One second. I was gonna say too that um based on your comment of uh how modern nutrition never really look into the law. I, get... I was gonna say too that when you do, you start to realize and you find that basically Uh, all the laws in the Old Testament would literally, like, solve all of the problems that we are now faced in this society. Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) for instance, like, the, the Jubilee year, like, that was to prevent massive wealth stratification, you know, and like, class warfare in society, like, a huge, that was to prevent, like, a huge wage gap, you know, I mean which we have today, you know, because we don't have, we don't do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's why, like, that's why, like, you know, you know, a tiny percentage of people own, like, 40% of the wealth, you know, and all that. I mean, it's just, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. We highly recommend the. Uh, for more information on that, we don't agree with everything he says, but he's got a lot of good teachings to help you understand. It is uh, a YouTuber by the username Southern Israelite, mm-hmm. whose real name is Drake Shelton.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Guys, <laughs> that guy helped me through more than anybody else.
0: Oh yeah, uh, yep.
1: the idea that Torah submission is a good thing.
0: Yeah, basically I mean his theology and his uh eschatology we would disagree with but pretty much everything else like his politics, his ethics, I mean his view of the law, I mean pretty much agree with all. I mean he speaks the truth basically on all that, you know. It's I think actually think he, I would actually say he's probably I've learned more from him than probably anybody else on YouTube, you know, I mean, he's definitely, he's extremely learned, like he, you know, he's he's one of those guys that uh, he should be, you know, getting paid for what he's doing, and, you know, he's, he knows too much to not be, to, he knows, for what he knows, he shouldn't be in abject poverty, and it's it's really a shame that he is, you know, but so yeah, I would recommend, I would also recommend people go, you know, listen to him, support him, you know, get his books. Yeah. The only parts
1: we don't agree with him would be like you just said, Chris, the eschatology and also his stuff. He's not quite to the point where he's accepted the idea of, uh, you know, what we've been talking, what this podcast was about. Yeah. Um, he's still stuck on strict monotheism.
0: Yeah, he's in, I mean he's a pretty, of being a council of gods. He's a pretty strict For, protestant, so we would obviously like I said his theology we would disagree with. Yeah. Um and he he's never I don't I don't foresee him ever coming out of that. He's I think he's uh he's to the point where you know, he's just in a he's in a revolving door now where he's so firmly entrenched, you know. And he's so adamant and stubborn about it that he's not gonna he's not gonna let go. I mean which isn't entirely a bad thing. I mean I like his passion. I mean, it's better than being passive and apathetic, but um you know.
1: Well, I haven't given up on
0: him. Yeah, you haven't you haven't given up on him? No. Oh, I have to. I'm not the one who I mean, I,
1: I'm not I, the I, one who tried to talk to him and got silenced. Right?
0: <laughs> yeah. <that's>, yeah. <laughs> like I you. Mean, yeah. But I mean, he also he also stuff. believes in the soul sleep and the annihilation is obviously. I mean, I, I just there's no way you can make that work with scripture. It's just there's right.
1: He, he rejects emanationism and
0: yeah,
1: and certain things about the
2: soul.
0: Yeah, and the spirit. He doesn't believe that we have an an individual spirit, which, I mean, all you have to do is just go to the account, you know, in Samuel, the account of the witch of Endor calling up the spirit of Samuel, okay? Mm And if you just let the text speak for itself, you don't read your preconceived view into it, you don't perform any eisegesis, you know, you just exegete what it says, you just draw out the meaning, and deduce from that, well... It doesn't give any indication that that wasn't the spirit of Samuel, did it? Does it? I mean, it just it says that's the that was the spirit of Samuel that she called up, you know. I mean, so that would affirm that a there's an individual spirit that you have and that survives death and that is retains consciousness. Well, I mean that's just a, I guess. <laughs> So, I mean, that that one passage is all you need to debunk uh, his view. Well, the one that I actually, well, I brought that one up to him, and I brought up, uh, you know, the New Testament passage where they go up to the Mount of Transfiguration and they see the, the spirits of Elijah and, uh, who else, Moses, I think, with Christ. And he had he had absolutely no answer for that. So, I, and then he proceeded to block me. Hmm. So, I mean...
1: He'll get there. We still recommend yeah. all his other uh, topics.
0: Definitely oh, yeah. His books. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I still support him. I mean, I'm a, I'm a patron of him. I'm sending him money every month.
1: Yeah, I bought two of his yeah. books.
0: Yeah, I have all of his books. So... All right. Well, I think we'll uh, cut this one off here then. All righty. That was that man. That was a good show. <laughs> yeah.
1: Thanks for having me on, Chris.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I uh, invite you. You know, I welcome you back for the next one. All right. So, uh,
1: the cool kids like me.
0: Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, talk to you later, Ross. I'll see you. Uh, Ready. You know, I'll let you know when we. I want to do it again.
1: All right.
0: All right. Thanks for coming All right. on. All right. Bye. Thank you.